Welcome to Lasso Cast. My name is John, and we're watching the Emmys live as we're recording this. So, first of all, congratulations to Hannah Waddingham and Brett Goldstein for so far uh, winning their Emmys. And also joining me, Saida Rhodes, sitting on the other side of our sectional, also watching the Emmys. <laughs> and also with us, uh, Kenny Madison, who is not watching the Emmys mm. uh, because I am that co host and I'm just looking up at these awards and just pulling up a random winner to congratulate and i'm going to congratulate okay evan peters for mayor of east town congrats you're the only professional among us kenny uh you you love to see it you love to see it yeah uh i i would accept that accolade except that just isn't true today because we have associate professor at old dominion university and the contributor to av club including his masterful ted lasso recaps that have been such a help for the season of Ted Lasso. Please welcome to the podcast, one Mr. Miles McNutt. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I will uh, not congratulate uh, last week tonight and Saturday Night Live, which just won the Variety Emmys for the umpteenth millionth time in a row, reminding us that the Emmy voters are inherently unoriginal and are incapable of actually watching television, which isn't to say they're always wrong, but they're uh, never always right. Apparently none of them watched Black Lady Sketch Show. Oh, definitely not. Bummer. 100%. Bummer. <laughs> uh, Miles, what's your favorite episode of season two so far of Ted Lasso? I mean, I think if you actually go by my grades, it's the Christmas episode. I don't know if I stand by that. Grades are dumb. I'm just going to say that up front. If you've ever looked at a grade, <laughs> plot, I don't understand that grade. Like, believe me, I agree. And like, I literally give people grades for a living. Like, I'm a professor. It's my job yeah. to grade people. But grading individual episodes of TV feels fundamentally antithetical to that. And yet I have to do it. And I've learned kind of it's always the last <laughs> thing I do. So if you ever read a review and you're just like, that doesn't seem like a B minus. It's because it wasn't until I decided what the grade was. And I'm not going back. Um, I think for me, the episode that best captures the spirit of the show is the third do the rightest thing um, in terms of like mm, the kind yeah. of the upward swells of the show and kind of what it can accomplish and the mix of the game itself and all those different components. I think that episode best captured the different layers of the club in terms of kind of balancing management and the individual kind of players and the coaches and kind of all those things merging together and playing through that. I think that was the episode that best captured the spirit of all of that in a season that I think has very much been pushing the balance of those different components in different ways that I think I find to be ambitious and interesting, if not always necessarily as successful as what the first season accomplished. Hmm. Miles, I have so many follow-up questions for you. First question. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Now we're going to really take it back. What do you teach? You're a professor. What, what is your subject? Who are you teaching? So I'm a media studies professor. So I teach about television. So like it's my oh, cool. life in every possible way. So I mean, so I have a PhD in media and cultural studies from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, I basically research and teach about the media industries broadly, but specifically often focused on TV. So like I teach classes that are about, for example, thinking about how production and industry intersect with creativity Mm -hmm. and identity and those types of things. So like when I see an episode of Ted Lasso, that's really kind of like playing around with the different levels of its storytelling and cultural impact and those types of things. I look at that and I'm like, I could teach this, right? Like I could give this to a group of students and kind of break down like what it's connecting to and how it's building story and how it's kind of working through that. So inherently it is a slightly different perspective than an average person would have on a TV show. And I feel like I'm very fortunate that like, if you've ever read my, I've had people 
in the comments on my reviews where it's just like, you know, this is a really academic approach. And I'm like, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> As a matter of fact. Um, that's, that's kind of, yeah, like that's not, you, you got me. But like, I think it's for me a matter of sort of, I feel very, fr- very, very, very grateful that they've let me kind of approach it from that perspective and kind of try to blend those modes together and certainly feel as though that's been a very sort of uh, beneficial process now going on uh, 11 years. Oh, wow. Very cool. And are you in Virginia? Yeah. So I'm in Norfolk, Virginia. Okay, cool. Um, Last follow-up question. Remind the listeners and perhaps myself, what happens in episode three? So this is the case where you have Sam's protest. And in Mm, retrospect, I have a lot of I have a lot, as, as some of you may all know, a lot of feelings about how that story ended up playing out in the broad span of the season. But I felt like it was an instance of the show sort of thinking we're a sports show, but we're also a show about these people and their relationships to each other. You've also got sort of everything in that case with Rebecca and her goddaughter and all those kind of elements of that story sort of converging in on that. Um, and building through there's just a lot of interesting dynamics playing in and around that story that I feel like speak to what the show can kind of do when it operates on all cylinders, which it doesn't always mm. try to do because I don't think the show can always kind of play around with all those different tools. But I feel like it's sort of a proof of concept of those dynamics. And I think the thing that stood out to me that I wrote about at the time was that similar to Scrubs, Bill Lawrence's previous show of sort of like reminding us that like these people exist in a hierarchy and they don't all live in the same worlds and have the same perspectives. So when mm-hmm. a story kind of connects with each of them differently, we get to see those intersections play out. Yeah. Are you yeah. are you able, ever able to watch anything without thinking about how you can teach it? <laughs> like, are, um, you, are you ever able to just sit down and enjoy something? I want to be very quick. Your question is, is my brain broken? Is my brain broken is your question. Um, The answer to the question is, is yes. I mean, like, but like, as people will ask, like, well, what happens like when you just go watch a movie and I'm like, oh, I'm like thinking in my head how I'm going to respond to this and like what it connects to and like what the tweet's going to be and going through all of that. Mm -hmm. I think that that's sort of a, a byproduct of what that is. But like, I take pleasure from that. And I feel like I would never expect everybody else to do so. I certainly feel like in this case, particularly with Ted Lasso, the seasons we can talk about, particularly this week, um, the approach that I'm taking to this is not the approach that a lot of people have to watching Ted Lasso. And I feel Mm -hmm. like as a result of that, people will come in and just be like, are you watching a different show? And it's like, no, I'm watching the same show differently. And that results in a different response and a different wavelength and those kind of components. For me, that wavelength works. I don't feel like I have to like turn that off to enjoy something. But at the same time, I also have to acknowledge that on a very basic level, that's not an approach that's going to be the same for everybody. And also Mm -hmm. like, it's also like a, I guess, theoretically, a Stockholm Syndrome thing where it's like, this is my entire life. It's what I have to do. So like if I if I didn't enjoy it, like I think back. So like I wrote my undergrad thesis about Battlestar Galactica and medieval romance. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that was my first attempt to like really write about TV in that context. I was in English department and like I I went in not knowing like, would I still like this show coming out the other side? Like, can I survive kind of applying these things entering into that narrative? And for the most part, the answer was yes. And I feel like that was sort of a proof of concept that I've been kind of now carrying on for nigh on 15 years. Uh, this is unrelated to Ted Lasso because I just got to talk Galactica. If you wrote your thesis paper on Galactica, uh, did the, on your first watch through, how did you like the fourth season and reapproaching it? 
how did it play to you? That's not an academic question. I just wanted to know. No, no, of course. Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting <laughs> there is sort of when you get to something like the fourth season of Battlestar Galactica and you have a show that has put off so many answers and suddenly starts delivering them, I feel like it's sort of inherently fraught. What was interesting for me was that that was the first season of the show I was really watching live alongside other people. I'd caught up on the show, um, I think, yeah. early in season three, kind of at the midpoint there. And so it was the fourth season I got to experience with other people online while I was blogging and writing about it and kind of becoming starting to become part of a critical community in addition to an, an academic community rather than just me on a blog in 2007 with nobody reading. And so <laughs> I think for that reason, I found that to be a very much like a collective experience. And I think an example where like I had my thoughts, I wrote reviews of the episodes as they went by, kind of confronting it. But it was very much a response built on like, let's enter into a dialogue. Let's talk about what is or is not working. Let's talk about how that plays through. Uh, I did like the finale at the time. I still more or less stand by that. But I admittedly haven't gone back to the show in the decades since it finished. So uh, one's mileage may vary. Oh, it's so good. That's my academic response. Uh, also, it's yes. This is just the joy of of film analysis. I and uh, that's boy. I really don't have any other larger takes outside of the fact that it's just it's it's for me. It's just really fun to engage with this stuff. And also, you going. Uh, I'm coming at this with my own biases. This is just how I enjoy it. You don't necessarily have to enjoy this the way that I am enjoying this thing, but I just want mm -hmm. you to just understand what my perspective is as opposed to kind of the binary that so many of us rush towards. Uh, this has to either be good or bad as opposed to, well, it's, it's, it's clear that it's trying something and it's not necessarily always successful. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can't but, imagine you know, why you're thinking about questions like that this week of all weeks. I don't know why that uh, would have possibly come up in this circumstance. I know. Uh, and that has been our episode of LassoCast, right? That's that's it? <laughs> yep. That's all? Yeah, that's it. End, end of discussion. That's Thank our you, conclusion. Miles. That's our thesis statement. We're good. Thanks, everybody. Charity shout out. What we got? What we got? <laughs> uh, we're recording this on the 21st of September, which is a very special day. Because oh. we got a, a new video from Demi Adijawebe. Well. One of the one of our faves. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, but if you don't know what we're talking about, Demi is a comedian, a writer, performer who does uh, a video every year on this on the twenty first of September, where he dances and he and the the Earth Wind and Fire song plays, and it's great. This year's was insane; production value tripled. Yeah. Um, but every year he does this for a, a certain charity. This year it's Imagine Waterworks, which is a New Orleans-based mutual aid and disaster response uh, organization. Uh, there, he's 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 raising money for them specifically this year for Hurricane Ida relief. Um, and at this point, they've already raised over or almost a million dollars, which is nuts. Um. The website for that is imaginewaterworks.org, and we'll put that in the show notes too. You can watch the video. You can throw in some money, help some people out. I like it. Sai, <laughs> so, have you seen the September video? I was just introduced to the September videos today. I showed her like the last five years worth. Oh. It's a good oh. time. 
And I love Earth, Wind, and Fire, and I love people dancing. I mean, what more could I ask for? So (laughs) it was wonderful. Yeah, this song is super special to my heart because this is a big song growing up in my family. Mm -hmm. This is my dad's favorite song. Both of our birthdays are in September, both (gasps) mine and my father's. And so this song means so much, and I sent him... uh, not this year's because I, I think I know my dad's YouTube attention span. Uh, but <laughs> It's not six minutes. <laughs> no, but I, I sent him last year's, which is so great. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. last year's still my favorite. Yeah, and also it's really hard to beat Demi uh, dancing yeah. around in uh, Fred Astaire room. Yep, that's that was crazy. Well, um, also, yeah, listeners, Kenny's birthday is this coming Saturday, right, Kenny? Yes, Queen. So Yay. wish him a happy birthday. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Thank send you. him some cards. Yes. I don't know his address, but just send him some cards. Digital cards on yeah, the yeah. Twitter. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> happy birthday, Kenny. Thank you. 33 has never looked so good. Wow. Ow. I remember 33. That was a good year, man. Ooh. Wait, <laughs> how, how, how old are you, Johnny? 37. I'm, how do I, I'm so surprised. <laughs> Did you think older or younger? My age or younger. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sometimes I forget he's, I mean, he's not old, but. Yeah, older. Yeah, kind of old, yeah. Uh, if I just may imagine, I, I imagine that size just too focused on that body, though, in order to be like, how old is he? <laughs> just you, always you biting your it. lip. And you're just like, mm, I don't know how old he is, but I hope it's legal. It's mm-hmm. legal. Yep. Mm-hmm. Dad bod, make it cloudy. <laughs> <laughs> Beard After Hours. Yeah. The title of episode nine of season two, written by Brett Goldstein and Joe Kelly. Directed by Sam Jones, who directed the fantastic Wilco documentary, I'm trying to break your heart, I think is what it's called. Yes. Um, love that. And I guess that explains why Jeff Tweedy shows up in the uh, variation of the theme song for this episode. Indeed it does. That I gotta is, say, I loved the theme song. I yeah. liked it so much better, this, this version really of it. I really liked it. And I like <laughs> that he's just sitting on a bus, and or not a bus, the subway. I really, I liked the treatment. That was great. Johnny, should you ask Miles your question about the opening credits theme? Miles, do you like the opening theme song? Um, I have no strong feelings. Um, I will you. say that when I watched, when I would rewatch the first season, because pandemic, we've already gone over that, um, yeah. and would go through it, um, I have a very strong feelings about the skip intro button, which is I think it's an evil, and I feel like it is destroying. I wrote a whole piece for the AB Club talking about how it's destroying the art of the credit sequence and how like there's no reason for a streaming service to not make long intro sequences. And so to have people skip like 15 second ones feels particularly egregious and speaks to the kind of <laughs> loss of this art form. Um, but I will say in this context that when I would rewatch the show, I would occasionally skip that intro, um, which maybe I guess... Yeah, I guess that's maybe the statement that we're looking for as to how my feelings about it. I think I've warmed to it in the second season from this perspective. Mm. I feel like I've kind of come around to it a little bit more. And I will say the variations on it have kept me more invested in the intro than I was previously. Yeah. In yeah. that context. The Rankin Bass version was a lot of fun. 
Yeah. Yes. Which but, wasn't uh, on the screener, by the way. Uh, which was because uh, like oh, the Christmas theme song was there, but the claymation wasn't done yet, apparently. So I had no uh, idea that was there until the episode went up and people were tweeting about it. I'm just like, wait one second. What is it? And I actually went and changed my grade up higher because it was so good. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. For two A plus plus, huh? Miles, I have a question for you. And it's yes. not Ted Lasso related. Um, yep. Earlier, I was actually wondering. Is it, is it Galactica related? It's absolutely <laughs> not Galactica related. Okay. Um, do you watch reality TV at all? Do, do you find that enjoyable or do you not like <laughs> such things? Um, so I teach a class on reality TV. Uh, so, uh, which isn't to say I necessarily like love it entirely, but I find it fascinating. I certainly am deeply invested in certain franchises and always fascinated by how the others confront things. So like I've watched Survivor since the beginning. Okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. You mentioned voting block, and I thought that was a curious choice of verbiage. (laughs) You also, you have to get into survivor. Yes. I mean, I definitely do think that in that context, right? I also like I study award shows and think about how they're organized and kind of all those things. And I do think that it's natural to think of them as sort of like one large reality TV show of Hollywood, kind of confronting us all these different kind of voting blocks and dynamics. So I think it's a natural fit in context. Love Mm. it. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the opening title sequence is fine. It's a fine yep. opening title sequence. It's, it's fine. It's more fun when they mix it up. I think they should keep doing that. Um, but otherwise, it's just, it's not too long. I can't be mad at it. It's just like not setting my world on fire. Yeah. I mean, I've been on record. I just, I don't love the song, so I, I tend to skip. But I do like this Jeff Tweedy version in this episode that we're going to talk about mm-hmm. today. Kenny, how'd you feel about this episode? Oh, I love it. I love this episode. Uh, and I am, I am, I'm not entirely surprised by the reaction, but I am flummoxed with the amount of vitriol, uh, that is coming at it. But also that, I guess that's just the burden of expectations and getting, as opposed to having your chunk of season just available to consume immediately. Where do you see this vitriol? Uh, by following the word Ted Lasso on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. That is a thing you should not do. Um, well, like, I, just be very clear. Like, I don't want to say this is on you, but. I, I have found most of the, the well, out, outside of the, I guess, two or three weeks of discourse, which has died down since then. Um, but most of the folks that we interact with are pretty darn positive. Um, and also I have seen other people who have been like, I guess I shouldn't have said anything bad about it because I'm getting DMs in my DM box. That's what it's called. Yep. And that is, that is ludicrous. Um, because it's, it's, I hate to use, it's just a TV show because it is just a TV show, but also art can speak to us on so many levels and become so meaningful, but also, mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't necessarily like it, uh, then really interrogate why you feel so vitriolic, uh, unless, you know, it might be your job to, in order to consume said things and you are trying to, you know, have a podcast or contribute an article to the AV club potentially. Yeah. Uh, in which case it's literally your job. Kenny, can you speak to how much you enjoyed this episode? Is this number one for you now? Or just this no. was a good episode and that's where I, I'm at? I still think nothing compares to season one, episode five, um, Tan Lines. That, that's my favorite mm-hmm. episode. And mm-hmm. then okay. um, 
boy, Headspace was a really good episode for this season. I really, yeah, really like this episode. Um, yeah. That's that. That's, yeah, I mean, that, so I guess, so I guess my, my question is insight. in this case, when you sort of like, obviously the discourse around the show and the episode is kind of a big part of this and kind of moving from that. Do you feel in any way that like the amount of people and the kind of vitriol that you're seeing has sort of like solidified your appreciation of it in a way? Like, do you feel like this, because I think being in the discourse, it is sort of like it's. It's almost like it's, yeah. we're firing ceramics and everything is hardening by nature of the kind of intensity of our circumstances, which again, I, sounds silly when we're talking about a TV show, but like it really has been very pointed this weekend. Well, it does because TV shows and identity politics have become so intertwined, right? Uh, if if you like Zack Snyder movies, suddenly you're a bad person. Uh, right. I don't like Zack Snyder movies, uh, just to be clear, but please, yeah, you know. And that's okay. Johnny, cut that if, out. If like those, if those like people are listening to this podcast right now, I would be deeply shocked. <laughs> you don't think no there's offense any to you or the podcast in the, Venn, in the Venn diagram <laughs> of the Snyder cut folks? I don't believe Snyder so. And Lasso? I, I think I'm choosing to believe not for the sake of my sanity. Yeah. Um, I, Miles, I think you do hit the nail on my particular head just a little bit because I do, as my roommate would be the first person to point out, I think there is a degree of enjoyment of being a, a contrarian and sticking up for underdogs. And this feels like an underdog. But also, I liked this episode out of the gate. And I like this episode without knowing what the discourse was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I just really liked it and was very happy with it and pleased. And then uh just doing my research for the episode and digging into some of the things this episode was doing i think maybe some of the discourse kind of uh hardened my love for it yeah that's a phrase uh but then also seeing the seeing layers that i just did not necessarily pick up on um, and then, cause I, I think doing a coach beard episode is absolutely a terrible idea. I think that's a really bad idea because the joke is he's quiet. So if you center an episode on this character, that's a terrible idea. And I think at least for me, uh, it just, it, it did a really smart thing of just doubling down emotionally as opposed to, I, I think if going back to scrubs again if this was an episode of scrubs and we followed one of those characters like if we followed the todd for an episode uh you would double down on the joke and the joke would get tired uh and instead it's just kind of interrogating why is beard a sidekick and attaching a emotional weight that was definitely hinted at but just kind of making that subtext into text in a in a in a way that really connected with me. Do you see like um, a basis for the, the vitriol or like even just the harsh criticisms? Is it just that it's, is it just that people are like, we want more of that like positive, I think, cheery shit and you're not giving that to me? I think a portion of discourse is that because I think a lot of folks just want season one of Ted Lasso. Again, and yeah. I mean, the world does indeed suck. So I understand that notion. Hmm. Um, and it's also the burden of expectation. It's the burden of doling these episodes out a week at a time because it, it these every single one of these episodes feels so precious. Mm. Uh, and so I've been waiting a week to get my uh, 40 plus minutes of Ted Lasso. 
and this is what you're giving me. Um, interesting. I waited a long time. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, just to speak to that briefly, so like I will say, like I saw a lot of responses because I mean, I saw this episode on Monday um, when the screener went up, and so I've had some time to sit with it and kind of go through it. I was really, obviously, very curious how people would respond, and like checking Twitter at like twelve forty-five a.m. on Friday. <laughs> Which yeah. is what I always do, where I'm just like, where are people at? It was a lot of people being like, I wish I hadn't stayed up for that. Where like people had like been waiting all week for this episode drop to see this next thing. And so a lot of it for them was like, I wish I hadn't done that. And I saw people talked about how like, oh, because I saw some of the reactions, I didn't watch it. I went to bed last night instead of watching it. And then I watched it in the morning and I'm glad I didn't stay up and all these things. And you realize that just like people have very specific contexts of like what they're anticipating and building to that are also just yeah. like a matter of like what they've built. You can't control any of that. You can't no. manage all of those expectations. You can't move through that. But this is an yeah. episode that is very much working against, I would argue, how an average viewer would naturally expect the episode after the previous episode to function in yeah. a way that to me does, I think, there's, a, there's an element of not like outright trolling. I don't like that term in this context because it sounds <laughs> really like negative and kind of like the notion there's malice behind it in some way. And I don't think there is. But like the idea of doing a standalone <laughs> in this spot does read in that language to someone who doesn't understand what's going on, what those choices look like and may not necessarily mm -hmm. be primed to think of it in those forms. I agree. And I will say like, I'm not one of the, I, I, there is no vitriol and I don't keep up with anyone's discourse. So I have no idea what the people are talking about, right, but you're, you're normal. <laughs> you're like, Oh, didn't like that episode. Oh, well, I'm just going to go get a sandwich. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, and it's not that I didn't like it, but I will say it felt like a bit of a non sequitur because they had been building up to something very specific for the last few episodes. And so now, I mean, like we know that Jane and Beard have had their, their thing going on. Um, but this turn, it just felt like, oh, well, all right. You know what I mean? Like I was ready for more juice. And even if it wasn't Sam and Rebecca juice or um, Ted Ooh. and Sharon juice, it could have been Jamie, like what if Jamie had a night out on the town after a rough night? Like just something more in line with what I had been, you know, recently eating. If I'm having barbecue, I'm right. assuming perhaps we're getting a cob or perhaps it's pudding. And if it's just like, I don't know, cotton candy, you're just confused. So it's just, you know, it's just a little abrupt. Um, and then the other thing is that I didn't dislike the episode, but for me, I wish there had been more more rules. Like I had told John that my mm -hmm. concern was, I'm not sure if I'm watching reality or not. And it felt at times like a little confused in that way. Like, is this reasonable that Beard's jumping off of a building? I'm not sure. Oh, but it also not... seems reasonable that he runs into Jane at a, yeah. like a speakeasy. Like that seems fine, but how did he jump off of a building? You know what I mean? So that was just confusing yeah. for me as a viewer. I mean, that also yeah. kind of requires a little bit of context of the source that they're quoting some of it from, which is the Martin Scorsese film After Hours. Mm -hmm. uh, and which the, I just want to be very clear, is not a reasonable, like, everybody knows cultural reference point. I definitely had no. some people where it's just like, oh, if you haven't seen After Hours, you wouldn't understand this. And I'm just like, yeah, that's 
90% of the audience of this TV show. So I don't think that like, I think that's where like, I saw people sort of mention that and go through and I'm just like, I don't, I understand that as like, oh, we would have different meaning in that point. Again, different contexts. We all bring different perspectives to things, right? In my world, it's encoding and decoding. They can have whatever meanings they want, but we all decode them differently based on our own context and perspectives. But like, in that case, I'm just like, that movie came out before I was born. It is not a (laughs) reference point that, I've been given as like, this is a Scorsese film you need to see that I've stumbled upon or sort of engaged with. And so I'm just yep. like, I don't have that point of reference. I feel like if I'm expected to, the episode has failed. Yeah. 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 And some of that, I guess, would it be fair to say magical realism? Surrealism? Definitely surreal. It's it's definitely yeah. a heightened thing that's that's going on and they're bending the rules a little bit because i mean that's just kind of a well a it's a comedy and that's what comedies do they heighten things sometimes too much and then you know after hours just operates at a heightened level and it's very much in dialogue with well not very much but it is in dialogue with it uh it's a lot less anxious than after hours is let me ask you this. The last episode that kind of heavily referenced a movie, the the rom-com episode with the yes. When Harry Met Sally, the couple in the stands talking, mm-hmm. and that bothered you yeah, because it is, broke the that, rules that the show set up. Yes, that is my least favorite scene of all of Ted Lasso. I think that is actively bad. And Rainbow is probably my least favorite episode of the entire show, period. But in, the, in this episode, it just didn't break the rules enough for you to dislike it or did it break them often enough that it was part of the point yeah i don't uh uh, i guess beard jumping off of a roof and into a a a doodad what's it called a dumpster that's what it's called uh miles you're a teacher is it called a dumpster (laughs) yeah that's good that works great wonderful um i don't know just work for me (laughs) (laughs) the moment where my suspension of disbelief was like all right was uh when uh the three pub lads go to the 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 like alley underneath Nelson Road to get into the stadium like there's just a dude just waiting there at all times one knock yeah. and he's he opens a door maybe you don't know yeah, that you have also, to have a security also, oh, okay. guard there no this is see this is where like if i i knew if i started complaining about this interview people would jump down my throat but i was just like shouldn't they know they're at Nelson Row? Like they had yeah, to come to the stadium. Like they, they know where they are and they don't seem that plastered. I really feel like they should have been more aware of where they were. But again, they're going for magical realism. They're going for a very kind of clear moving. And I, I understand all that. But to me, it's a matter of like, is this enough of the language of the show for this to not read as a sort of like massive diversion? And there was a big conversation about Santa Claus after the Christmas episode. Right. Where it's just like Santa Claus. Yeah. That he exists in this universe because they show him and they go through this reaction. And in that case, it's like, oh, it's a Christmas episode. These things play out. But like in this Mm -hmm. case, this is very much a different sort of point of there's a lot more of it. It's harder to necessarily engage and understand what these choices look like. And I think for me, where my issue rests is I don't think it's enough part of the language of the show, but I also don't think it matters. Like whether this happened or not doesn't matter. Right. No. So like the like so it's not That's as though like we're making That's a point about true. like is Beard 
you know, disassociating? Is this all a big fever dream? Like, is there some, whether or not that question is true or not doesn't matter. There's no significance to anything that happened here from that perspective, meaning the magical realism just feels like a parlor trick. And thus, I don't have any kind of connection to it or ways to connect it to what else is happening on the show. Thus, it makes it feel like a uh, kind of a less valuable exercise than in a circumstance where a show kind of uses it to kind of make it much more pointed perspective. I think you're totally right. It probably does not matter if these things happened or not. And it's easy to get super sucked into that, as I certainly did. Um, so I would love to talk about the things that were within the episode that really do matter because theme wise got a lot of depression. I feel like we learned a lot about Beard and what's going on with him. We see some toxic behavior with Miss Jane. Um, I'd love to dig into that. Uh, if you guys are, are I want to add one thing to this. Like, so like, did we learn a lot about Beard? And like, I say this as a legitimate question because I, for me, like, I mean, like I say it in my review, right? But like, I was just bored about this episode. I didn't hate it. I wasn't like, oh, this is awful. But I was just like, I was not interested. I watched it. I rewatched it all in isolation. None of the discourse, just living this episode in its forms. And it just kind of was in this very weird spot. And what was interesting to me was like, people were just like, oh, we got so much perspective on Beard. And I was just like, was there anything here that we could not have intuited? Was there anything that felt revelatory where like if we hadn't got to spend this 43 minutes somehow, 43 minutes with Beard, that we wouldn't have been able to just say, oh, you know, he's kind of depressed. Didn't we kind of learn that when he saw his reaction to the initial Jane breakup when they were at the (laughs) kind of charity party and he was going through all the Mm -hmm. chess stuff? Like, haven't we kind of sensed his kind of inner frustration with Ted from the scene in season one where he kind of breaks down? It was just a clip on the Emmy reel where he was talking about how, like, these are not kids, right? These are professional athletes. These things matter to me. These things matter where he's wrestling with his kind of inner struggle with Ted and in their relationship with his, you know, a better understanding of the game and these things. I feel like we knew all of that and in seeing it play out, all it did was tick off boxes that my brain had already ticked off. That was my reaction to that. I'm wondering from that perspective, like what did you feel you learned about him that like in some way changes our perspective? Yeah. I mean, for me at least, like I think Beard's, Beard's Beard, right? Like we're giving him a couple of lines. He's mostly reaction shots and all this stuff and that's fine. Um, But what I think I'm learning about Beard that we had gotten with other characters was just the level of depression that he seems to have going on. Like, to me, this was an episode largely about like self-hatred. And I don't know that we've explored that with folks other than maybe Ted and Nate, right? Like Ted's kind of alluded to that being maybe a thing that like his father has dealt with. I'm not sure that Ted specifically deals with that. Um, Nate is obviously very insecure with himself just as a human being. And that's, you know, perfectly fine. But Beard, on the other hand, I don't think we've seen that range. And then particularly, I thought his relationship with Jane was his issue. But like when he's in that chapel and be it a front for a speakeasy or not, like he's kind of going through like a prayer situation. And he mentions this one thing that I thought was kind of fascinating. Um, And he says, I'm under no illusion that she will save me from what ails me. And so this whole time I thought his issue was Jane, but I'm like, oh, what do you have? What else is going on? Like, And I don't know if we're going to see it in other episodes. I don't know what else he's struggling with. Like, 
did he have an addiction thing? And now, you know, maybe he's been on the wagon, off the wagon. I have no idea, but it seems bigger than just, I have a girlfriend who I'm in love with and maybe she doesn't love me back. And I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious if this is going to change their plan for beard going forward, because this was, this was one of the episodes that was kind of tacked on late when Apple wanted two more episodes. And I think it's, I think it's a fine episode. Like I don't, didn't love it, didn't hate it. I definitely liked it a lot more on the second viewing, but I've seen uh, a couple people on Twitter and people whose like opinions I respect say that it's like a daring episode, which I, I don't agree with that because it's, it it's like an, it was almost like an afterthought. Like they had their season planned, they had beard figured out and then Apple ordered two more. So they kind of created this. It's like a clever clever solution for having two more episodes thrown on you but i don't see it as daring yeah well, i think that's i mean just to speak to that like you say certainly like i think there are risks being taken in this episode but it's in a fundamentally like hermetically sealed box right like they're protected from those risks there's this show's gonna go back to normal mm-hmm. right like we know that but i also think the other thing that struck me was like i don't think people knew that So like we, because we live in the discourse for better or worse, knew going in that this was one of the extra episodes because the Christmas episode, the interviews, you read all that discourse. They talk about how they added them after the fact. Apple went through that process. Like that's all part of this. But like an average viewer of the show did not know that. They would have no No. reason to believe that an episode would ever exist in that format. And so I think a lot of people like I think. Like I had random people, including my favorite, the alumni account for the Harvard Business School, which was my favorite <laughs> thing that showed my review this week. Um, their Twitter account shared my review with people who were on their feed who didn't like the episode where they were just like, here's some context. So like context was necessary where it's like, what is happening? Can someone explain this to me? And you could explain it to them by going through and saying, here are all the thematic reasons. Go watch After Hours, like give them those kinds of explanations for why things are going on. Or you could just explain, oh, they got an extra episode. It couldn't impact the overall story arc. So this is how things played out. And they kind of used it as this experimental moment to make that happen. Oh, this right? is, oh, what a, I, I love this discussion uh, because I can't, I can't divorce myself from knowing that stuff. And it, it helps me, it helps inform my enjoyment of this episode. And I can't help but just have the thought experiment of what if I was just a person mm-hmm. who was just watching this episode and how would this play in a vacuum? Would I be as shocked by it as some people are doing or as, as some people seem to be, it's just, this is what I love. This is just what I love about just getting different perspectives, man. Other people don't yeah. love that. I want to be very clear. This is the thing other people hate. This is the thing that other people cannot apparently deal with. Uh, that's, that, that's a shame because I want to, we should just try and understand other people's viewpoints because it's not unless you're hurting someone it's not necessarily incorrect to just not like something and if you are hurting someone when you're not liking something then there's a serious problem about that and it's it's and just the fact that ted lasso is such a um i don't know 
I, I don't know what the term is. You just kind of pin it on yourself and go, oh, you like positivity. I like positivity too. And you're just kind of waving I mean, your like, flag. Of- I guess, yeah. I mean, the way I would frame it is, and this is something I was talking about on Twitter and that I've been kind of engaging with a few different conversations from people who kind of like push back against pushback, uh, the backlash to the backlash, uh, to put it in yes. uh, Bo Burnham's terms. But um, the thing about this in context that stands out to me is like the reality is that circumstances of the pandemic and the nature of the show, people made Ted Lasso part of their ethos. Right. They made yeah. it part of their identity. And this is like it's it's stand culture in its various forms. Right. It's these types of relationships and these kinds of dynamics mm-hmm. that just naturally play out. And when that happens, I think two things take place. I think one is people are emotionally invested in something that when somebody criticizes it, they naturally can be a little bit defensive. They will read that criticism as a criticism of them because they are now connected yeah. to the show. And yeah. now. Sometimes that can be unfair. But the other thing that happens is jerks on the internet will attack fans of the show, right? For being simps and for being just like, you know, that in some way they are, you know, too earnest and too emotionally invested in this thing. And like, it's dumb and it's stupid. It's just a dumb comedy. Why are people talking about it? Like it's the second coming and that backlash kind of moves through. So when people get defensive, of the show and it's like you know they feel like you're attacking them for liking it or for not having these issues with the season etc as i think that i understand why that's happening given how some of the attacks on the show have manifested but i keep hoping that like we'll come to an understanding that like not liking this episode of tv is not inherently a judgment to the people (laughs) who did or to fans of the show and i have been saying this for a decade (laughs) And it has never worked. And I can like impact the influence of like a hundred students a year in an attempt to make them this point clear to them. But like other than that, my attempts on the internet to convince people that when I give an episode of a TV show a C plus, that this is not in some way an indictment of their personal taste has just never played yeah. out. It's always going to be felt that way. And I think with Ted Lasso, it is felt doubly so based on the kind of emotional connection you're identifying. So yeah. if I could summarize you, Miles, what you're saying is that uh, Ted Lasso fans are terrible and they should no, no, just burn no, into no, fire no. and I, all I, of I, that I, stuff. I know, yeah, I know. I know you're being satirical, but I just need to be very much emphasize the fact that it's like I do think that there's an element of this fandom that has operated independent of this kind of discourse and conversation. And I think part of the reason why we're seeing this conflict right now is not because those fans are bad people or moving through, but rather because we weren't having any of these conversations last year. There was no coverage of this show. There was no reviews happening live. There was no critical response to this program. So it's not like there was like everybody in the world tweeting the reviews of this show. Like right now, it's like every night at 3 a.m., all these tweets go out. Right. Or it's just like, here's my review of today's episode. None of that was happening last year. And so I think Mm -hmm. it created a bubble around the show that now when critics start writing about it like me and I'm going through and like every week, like digging into here's how the story lines are developing. Here's why this didn't work for me. Here's how it seems like a missed opportunity to explore these things. They're basically just like, who what what nerve do you have? to enter into this space that was kind of so very much just like uplifting and supportive of the audience of this program and start to treat it like it's meant to be, you know, more of like a more critical conversation because that wasn't the environment in which the show was first received and in which they first experienced it. And I think we're kind of trying to reach an equilibrium of where the show sits and how we talk about it. And I think because of the choices the show has made, it has made finding that equilibrium almost impossible. 
Yes. <laughs> I love nuance. It's so good. You like nuance? I, I love nuance. Just uh, an update from the Emmys real quick. Jason Sudeikis did win Best Actor in a Comedy yeah. Series. Congratulations, Mr. Sudeikis. Yeah, no, looking, again, that felt, hot. that felt comfortably anointed. I think I feel comfortable saying the Comedy Series will, will, will come, win will come in, you know, an hour and a half. Um, yeah. when the show concludes but uh yeah i think that was pretty much a foregone conclusion and again i think also like we're talking about an episode that like bypasses all the characters except for beard and the barflies um effectively as kind of their point of context and i think you know something in this case um that was sort of brought up was this idea like well why not a different character and i think that on the one hand, like my commenters got very mad at me for daring to suggest alternatives of how the episode could have gone. Cause I've discovered this is something that people are very angry about that. The second you say, I might've done this differently. They say, you're, you're a critic, not yeah. a writer. Stop trying to be a writer. Which, you don't yeah. get to. Where's your IMDB in your right. own recap. You're like, I hate pulling this card myself, but right. I just uh, can't. Yeah. I feel like the nature of the episode, because we know they had all the choice in the world. Right. That this wasn't part of the story arc. Right. That they could have technically done anything they wanted to do with this episode that would expand the world of the show in any particular way. Their choice of beer was a choice and they may had a reason for making it. And we'll see if there are more yeah. impacts from this episode than I imagine there to be in the future. And we can reassess it. That's how TV works. It's it's chapters of a and book. It's not a book in and of itself. I wonder if it was even like a production, like the decision came from a production standpoint of like we we were losing Brett. We're losing uh, Phil. We have Beard. We can do an episode around Beard. You know, something like that. I mean, I did also wonder, like, scheduling with the actors, right? Like, you know, like you think, okay, well, this would be a great time for more insight on Sam because my fundamental issue of the Sam storyline is that his point of view has been underdeveloped. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he is the lead on another show in the UK, which means they are of limited availability to when they can get access to him. Um, and so chances are there was some people where it's like, who can block out an entire episode of TV for chances are not that many people. And so in my mind, in my mind, for the record, if I'm making this episode, if I have that IMDb page and kind of going through this, I go home with a bunch of the players after that match, right? Like show me their mm. respective inner lives and gain yeah, I want to see more Isaac. points of view. Yeah. Like give me <laughs> Isaac, give me Colin, follow up that grinder joke from earlier in the season. Like give me these little bits and pieces of these different characters that we normally don't get to see and kind of build out from that. But logistically, that involves more actors, more sets, more kind of like kind of perspective that maybe they just felt like that was more chaotic than just saying, well, let's take a character, focus on them. And it also gave them more freedom to tell this story. It doesn't have to carry in in the subsequent episodes. They didn't have to go back and rewrite everything or rebreak the story in a meaningful way. They could kind of like pick up on that as they needed to. I think that like I get why they made the choice they did, but narratively, I couldn't help but feel like there was so much value possible in an episode like this that what I got out of Beard from this episode didn't feel substantial enough to justify 43 minutes spent and to diverge yeah. from the rest of the story, which I do feel was the burden this episode had for itself, given where it was located. Well, I'm going to say two things real quick. One I agree. I think 43 minutes in general, I'm really more of a half hour kind of gal. So I do get a little testy when some of these shows get a little bit longer because I'm like, let's make sure we're being economical with my time. So do I feel like 
personally, I could have had this episode in, you know, 28 minutes. Yes, I do think that. I, um, one thing I wanted to mention, like that maybe, maybe something that I learned about Beard, and I'd be curious to know if I'm, if I'm the only one reading it this way, is that prior to this episode, I always assumed that Beard was frustrated with Ted when they, when they would lose, he'd be pissed at Ted for Ted not taking it as seriously. But something that this episode kind of showed me is 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 Beard's self-loathing and putting losses on himself more than anybody else and taking the blame for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, the sort of reimagining of the commentators is talking to him and not others. I mean, again, it's like it's not like I left this like I don't understand Beard any more than when I left. It was just a matter of like, did I 43 minutes understand it better? Did, did it I an entire it. episode? Right. And I think it's like when people are just like, well, you're not judging it for what it was. And I'm like, well, no, but like they made a choice. And like when I say a burden, this is something that I often sort of think about TV through the lens of. Right. Like there's different burdens an episode takes on based on the story it's telling based on sort of where it's positioned itself, how these things kind of play out, where it is in the season matters, um, the nature of the story, what happened in the episode before, what we know is going to be happening in the future. And so this was built in a way that I would argue sort of fundamentally set up a very difficult and sort of lengthy burden that made it hard, I feel, for that to really um, substantially kind of uh, live up to it. And so when I see those small things with Beard, I'm just like, I like all of that, like small little points of detail, different elements. I'm very much in support of like going through this, but like I didn't leave the episode like, wow, I now am going to look at him so differently, right? Every time I see him, I feel like yep, it's yep. just shading and I feel like you you can't spend that much time and like you say it's like we're talking like could i would i could i feel like i could go in again now i'm a tv editor all the jobs i don't actually have that i think i'm good enough to do um i think i could cut 15 episodes from like 15 minutes from this episode very easily and yet it would still make sense and it would still basically serve the same purpose i think especially the the three lads on the on the pitch it's a sweet moment i don't know if i needed that at that point i was like can we just wrap this episode up please I the, talking about what you think got from this episode and at, at least for me, I, I don't think we found any new information, but something that was really recontextualized for me is his overall beardness. The fact that he is always the quiet sidekick and it's now it's not necessarily just a joke. It's also much like Ted and his, constant lassoisms so too is beard's quietness so too is beard being a sidekick and those character decisions being interrogated and going he this is his kind of defense mechanisms for some very dark stuff we've we've had the allusions to dark to, to beard just being dark but also the fact that he's so quiet is pointing, at least to me, uh, a very internalized self-hate that he doesn't even value the things he doesn't even value his thoughts. Um, and that's why he talks so sparsely and he only has to be in these very specific circumstances in order to talk at length whenever he's with the bar patrons or or, or the hooligans and they are just kind of worshiping him so he kind of feels safe uh with just kind of expounding on his own philosophies 
And then the rest of the episode is just him trying to be things that he isn't necessarily. He's trying to escape who he is fundamentally. Um, and then whenever he is just himself within the confines of Richmond, he is just quiet. And that comes from a deep, deep insecurity. And I think that that is for me so unexpected and so fascinating. Is it new information? Not necessarily, but I just, I just really dig it. I think it's interesting you say that because I, I didn't necessarily feel like he's definitely quiet because he, I don't, I don't know that he doesn't, maybe trust what he wants to say and all of that. I didn't quite get that impression because I thought he opened up pretty easily to at least the lady in red and Mm -hmm. all of that. I thought that was sort of curious. And so I know that we've talked about the fact that like maybe there's an issue with masculinity and these people just don't ever want to talk about each other's feelings. But I thought that Higgins has done a good job of making uh, Beard feel safe and vulnerable and they hugged it out when Higgins gave him an honest opinion of Jane. And now Beard's happy to talk to this other lady about Jane and his struggles there and what, you know, his love life has been like. And I just question, I'm starting to attack, like, why doesn't he lean on Ted more? Like, I don't know why they're just not leaning on each other more. There are people in your life to lean on. So do more leaning is my thought. At least for me, always boiling it down to my experiences growing up in the South and I guess, and or the Midwest. Don't exactly know where Oklahoma fits. I always picture it as the South, but I've heard people go, oh, yeah, the Midwest. Um, but it's that that basic philosophy of going, don't ever burden anyone with your problems because it's very selfish. Um, yeah. I mean, I will say, like, there's definitely, like, obviously, I think the embedded critique of masculinity is very much core to what they're doing with Nate right now. It's central to Ted's resistance to therapy. It's central to all those things. And so, again, like, when people in the comments on my review were kind of pointing out the thematic resonance of what Beard's story is revealing, I'm like, I under, I agree that those pieces all fit into where the season looks, and I think that kind of moves through. It's just, again, where it's like, what level of underlining was or was not happening of those stories felt kind of limited to me of like, okay, that's a small little detail, but I would agree that like, I don't know if it necessarily fully connects with what we've seen so far, or if I could sort of like say, oh, that now explains all of Beard's behavior because Beard's general approach to his professional dynamics to me has always been sort of that balance of the personal And the professional and like trying to kind of like block those off and kind of work through that. I just think there's something very like I agree it's all interesting, but I don't know how much of the episode percentage wise really contributed to that. And like Mm -hmm. I agree, the lady in red scene to me feels almost contradictory to that, where it's not really providing that same type of insight. And when he gets down and prays at the end and kind of reveals something deeper, I'm like, maybe it does. But at the same time, like the way the episode revolves with Jane seems to kind of like muddle that in terms of like where he lands on that relationship and how he views that. And so I look at all that. I'm like, I don't it doesn't need to be crystal clear, except that when you spend 43 minutes on a tangent, I kind of feel like a lack of clarity speaks to a lot of the confusion around the episode and a lot of the frustration around it, which is that I am like, 
is like I said, if in the last three episodes of the season, we suddenly realize that they have embedded deep meaning here that helps us understand choices Beard makes and like better kind of sets us up for what role he plays and whatever comes after this, like great. And I'll be more than happy to go back and say, you know what? That meant more than I thought it did. But I left this episode far more confused about why I got to <laughs> focus on Beard than I have been with similar episodes of other TV shows that have isolated characters and storylines, including going back to Scrubs. Scrubs did a bunch of her and his story episodes where they abandoned JD's perspective to focus on other characters. And that always felt very purposeful and very pointed as to why we're doing this at this moment and what we took away from it. The lack of clarity on that point here seems to me like a mistake in terms of managing audience expectation, but also I'm, if that was what they were trying to accomplish, I'm confused. And if it wasn't, I feel like that indicates the balance of the episode was a little bit off or a lot off, depending on who you ask. Yeah. I was going back and forth on how much I enjoyed this episode. And I started to feel sometimes like I do when I watch an unwanted origin story of like a, like a, like the solo movie or something. And I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking like, did I need to know more about this character? Cause I kind of enjoyed them where they were. You know what I mean? So- that's interesting that you bring up the uh, solo because, and I don't know if you guys felt the same just about Han Solo, but where do you get his last name? Well, you see, he has no family. Where, how, what? Hold on. Right, so, however, could that have come up? What possible circumstance could that have happened? Surely, <laughs> surely not some random stranger. That doesn't seem uh, befitting in that. I think this, this, the solo example to me is a case where what the difference between that is like that would imply like solo is effectively like a backdoor pilot, right? Where they go and explain a character's origins to then spin off into this whole other set of stories. And solo is mm, very yeah. bad at being an origin story and pretty decent at being the start of an action adventure franchise. That's my take yeah. on solo. Like I would have watched more movies Same. like that in that vein, except that like that wasn't how it was presented to us. It was presented as yeah. you want to know the story of Han Solo. And I'm like, nah, I actually didn't. So that kind of then like by nature changed that perspective. I think the if thing it was is just like the adventures of space, Alden, yeah. Aaron Reich, just right. somebody else. Yeah. yeah. The problem in this case, though, is that like with Solo, it was a matter of like expectation built around marketing campaigns and like, you know, years of preparation and all this talk of these large scale franchises and all these different details. We had reason to know going in that that's what that movie was. We rejected it because it did a bad job of kind of working through that for various reasons. But like at least moving through, I don't think anybody, an average viewer of the show had any reason to believe that this episode would be doing what it was doing or what purpose it was serving. But I think the issue is that if I had left, I feel like if you had done an episode like this and your audience had left it saying, oh, I understand why they did that now, it wouldn't have been as much of a problem that it didn't meet their initial expectation. But I think if you had no idea what this episode was, went into it and got to the end of it, you would have no more clarity on what the episode was trying to accomplish. Now, whether that lack of clarity is a problem for you is the variable. Some people would have been like, that was trippy and I loved it. I had no idea what was going on and that's great. And like power to those people for kind of going with the flow. But I feel like in a lot of other cases, that uncertainty, just the episode seemed very disinterested in providing any. And I feel Mm -hmm. like you can't do a POV split episode like this and not kind of like, bring things full circle in a way that justifies where the journey has gone. And I feel like that is sort of like, they do bring us back to the next morning, but like, it seems like without any catharsis or anything. 
Yeah. Like, I really feel like I got no meaningful resolution in that moment. And like, mm-hmm. I think back, like when I was looking at this, um, I linked to a list um, at Vox that Emily Vanderwerf had put together um, where she talks about POV shift episodes and some of the best examples, which I believe was tied to an episode of Better Call Saul um, in that case, yeah. focusing on the Mike er- Trap character. And what was interesting to me is like it brought up things like Buffy's The Zeppo, right? Which is a Xander episode in season two of that show where it's basically just like all these big heroic things are happening. What is Xander up to? How is his journey playing out? And what if we just follow him on a given day? And I feel like in that case, that episode ended up like telling us a lot about that character, his relationship in these dynamics. And thus we under better understood him in a way we couldn't have before, in part because the story it was telling was interconnected with and continued the stories that were happening outside of it. The pure isolation of this, I feel, is where that problem sits. Because other than running into Jamie's father, like even if he had run into like one other storyline, if there had been one other character that he had interacted with that felt like we had some sort of like recurring kind of ongoing conversation, whether he had run into one of the other players, just somebody where it felt like we could get like beard's perspective on something that would then like complicate some other relationship i feel like it just needed at least one more point of reference for it to not feel so untethered and that was just not the choice they made i also wonder if it's if it's just the wrong season for this because we've we're going through people's emotional issues and and their resistance to dealing with it with with so many characters and now it's just like Oh yeah. Also, Beard has a lot of shit going on. Uh, I, I would have almost preferred to like not wrap up, but get further with Nate or Ted, and then like next season we find out Beard has shit going on too. Let's focus on him a little bit. It's almost exhausting. I I think that speaks to the ambition factor, right? Where it's just like you know the show is playing with the ensemble, extending out these different details, and I would say like the Nate storyline is an example where like. As that, it was fascinating to me because, like, I had seen the eight episodes in advance. I wrote about them as I went. So I wrote the review after the episode. So the review was never ahead of the audience, but I was reading the responses mm. to it. And so it was really interesting to me when I would bring up my issue with Nate, where I'm like, Nate's being a real jerk. Like, this is not really sort of like working for me. I'm very confused by it. And I feel like it's kind of moving. And I would get people in the comments where it's just sort of like, I don't know what you're seeing. Nate seems fine to me. Like, what's the issue here? Mm. And I know the story is going to go there. I know they've been seeding that. I know that they yeah. are they understand we're meant to be feeling this way. And it was just interesting how people still were just like, I just don't see it. Right. Like, you know, in the very show, much, no. No, and like, and I think it was just interesting how that, like, that ongoing element of that, they're playing with audience expectation in potentially a very risky way. And people are still just like, where's the Nate story going? I saw an interview with Nick Bahamut, I think, did with Vulture, where it was basically just like, trust, there's there's a reason for all of this. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that idea of trust, of like, we trust the show, we trust where it's going, is a huge part of serialized narratives and TV. And a lot of people in the comments have just been like, why don't you trust this? Like, why do you have these questions? Like, why are you concerned about Sam and Rebecca or any of these things in terms of how you're responding to this? And I'm just sort of like, I, for me, some choices the show made along the way eroded some of that trust. But 
they show is consciously pushing against our trust of it and our trust of these characters in a very comprehensive way. And I would argue that that is risky. And I would argue that there is something bold about that that I think we can acknowledge and engage with that it might not fully pay off. And we might, but if it does, if the show comes together and coalesces and makes us feel like all of this was part of this larger thematic reckoning that these characters are going to have to kind of deal with and engage with, Obviously, I will look back and think, do you know what? Those rough patches might have been worth it, right? Yeah. And like, that's where I, that's that's TV. That's how we respond to these things. That's a difficult thing to navigate and kind of work through. But one ultimately, I feel like could be very much valuable and sort of beneficial. It's just that like an episode like this very much tested the limits, I would argue, of that kind of pushback. And it's clear that for some people, they were... It, it was it was too much, right? There was too much uncertainty about where the show was heading and that kind of broke things down. And I think that that's just a reminder that that's what happens when you make those choices. I don't think, I don't, I, I really don't believe that like Bill Lawrence, Sudeikis, Brendan Hunt, the creators and writers of the show are sitting back like, I can't believe that people didn't like that episode. Like, I yeah. really don't think that they like are ignorant to the fact that they took a swing and kind of moved through this. And I'm sure they would have loved if everybody loved it. But I think they knew what they did and where it sat and where things were going. But I think they are hoping that people will trust them, that they'll keep engaging and kind of keep moving. And I think that that's a personal decision based on our own respective circumstances and based on how much somebody w- it doesn't like being disarmed in the way this episode naturally does. I'm kind of looking forward to watching this season back when it's all done and skipping the Christmas episode and this beard episode and seeing if the whole thing just plays a lot better. Oh, I want to be very clear that I definitely like would love and like I don't do the kind of research that like puts people in a room and makes them do things. But I definitely feel like I would have loved if like Apple had done some mass scale A-B testing and just like skipped those episodes on some people's accounts where they can't (laughs) watch them. Just to yeah. see like how they respond to it differently. Cause it's like, I do think that you, it's weirdly the complete inverse of each other, which I find fascinating, which is that like you have the Christmas episode, which was like what everything that the show's detractors thought it was. It was so yeah, saccharine and just like saccharine yep. and just like had no bite or purpose attached to it. And then you have this episode, which completely bypasses all of that to be weird and zany and completely different from what you'd anticipate. And so they're, they're, causing different problems related to their positionality that is the same, which I'm just like, that is, again, when we talk about like the complexities of the show's audience, it is that we're being moved in so many different directions on a week to week basis in terms of the way these stories are playing out. I feel like that is just complicating what would already be a complicated set of emotional responses. The narrative, the seriality, those dimensions of the show are equally kind of in flux and thus, um, rendering what is not chaos in the grand scheme of the world, but within the space of television criticism and how Twitter talks about TV in particular has been uh, rightly messy in this circumstance. Kenny, we got a donation. No. We got a very generous donation. No. From Mr. Adam Hobbs. Adam. uh, Via Venmo at LassoCast on Venmo. He wrote uh, with a donation, absolutely love the podcast. My wife got me started on Ted Lasso and your podcast, and it's been great to unpack the show with you three. I wanted to wish my wife a happy birthday this week. So 
Laura, this is for you from Adam. He says, love you, and you make me feel fireworks every day. Isn't that sweet? Happy birthday, Laura, and thank you so much, Adam. Laura! Laura, you (laughs) got yourself a keeper. That's very sweet. I'm dying over here. You know what's better than Ted Lasso? Birthdays. Love. Love. Oh, true. Yep. Adam Hobbs, apparently. Adam Hobbs, yep. Well, Laura, let's rank it. Uh, Laura, number one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Love, number two. Yep. Adam Hobbs, number three. Yeah. Number four, and Ted then, Lasso. And number right. five for birthdays, because Ted Lasso is really great. Birthdays can yeah. be really great. And number six, Battlestar Galactica. <sighs> Y'all, it's so, listen to me. Whenever the, <laughs> whenever, Sai, have you watched Galactica? Sai? No. Oh, boy. <laughs> But I'd like to submit dried mango for number eight. Seven. <laughs> Seven? Yeah. All right. We'll give you dried mango, all right, Kenny? Uh, I'll take it, counselor. Okay. Thank you. And there's your top seven, listener. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny, do we have a football fight night? Uh, b- Barely, so I'm going to give a good lackluster football fight night. There was not much football in this match, or rather in this episode. And so mm-hmm. we don't have much of a recap from our resident football expert, James Fight. You can find him on Twitter at TeFatGhost, T-E-H Fat Ghost. And I quote straight from the man himself. Not much other than after a huge embarrassing loss like that, you definitely play it on loop like Beard did. <laughs> it's hard to shake off. And that's been football fight night. Thank you, James. Nice. James. Always appreciate the insight. Fantasy update. Did we get a new score? Yeah. What a thrill that was. That was great. Thank you so much, Kenny. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So our fantasy draft update. Uh, this week was a tough week for me specifically. I'm I'm in last place for this week. I only got nine points, which is mm. which is rough. Um, right it's above a ro- me. Robust nine, though. Yeah. A robust nine, sure. Yeah. Sam was able to secure a robust ten. Mm-hmm. Nice round number. Mm-hmm. Kenny, second place with 16 points. All right. Mm-hmm. And then Johnny took it home with 22 points. With only like four characters in the episode. Like, how does that happen? Who got me the points? Let's take a look-see. To be fair, it's an anemic 22. Like, it's a thin <laughs> Anemic. It's shivering. Yeah. Hmm. Who's on my team? Yeah, let's actually take a look at that because I don't remember. You got points from Paul wait, and who else? Roy and Nathan. What? Oh, they watched game footage. They watched game footage. Oh boy! And they had a line in the episode. Gosh darn it! What? Yeah, right there at the end. Wow. Kenny, though, this uh, your strategy of drafting Baz and Jeremy really paid off for you on this episode. 
Absolutely. And I definitely knew that going into the season. <laughs> What's the season totals uh, at this point, Sai? Season totals. Uh, we're looking at 140 points for semantic satiation in mm. fourth place. Nice. It's actually pretty close right now. Kenny is in third place, uh, the Pet Shop Boys, at 145. Myself, I am in second place, the Call Me Maybes, uh, with 147. And then Johnny really pulled ahead here. The Crim Reapers are at 166. But it is an anemic 166. An anemic 166. Yeah. I think my strategy is I need to get at least 30 points ahead of second place before the end of the season, before those bonus points start mm-hmm. to tack on. Mm-hmm. Cause right now, if the, if the season ended today, I would not win. So got some work to do still. But if, if this, but my, my strategy is to get more points. Yep. That's a good strategy. Thank you. Mm. That's very similar. Interesting. Mm. Should we talk about Jane's texts to Beard? Yes. Um, this is something that kind of changed how I felt about the episode. Um, there's a moment where Beard gets his phone back finally, and he sees that he has like 52 miss, missed texts from Jane, and he kind of scrolls through them real fast. Um, but then some superhero, what's her name? Cat? Catherine something? I forget. Um, her her uh, Tumblr is Cinematic Nomad, um, but she went through like frame by frame and transcribed every text. And reading those texts uh, just kind of changed how I felt about the episode and Jane and Beard's relationship. Um, we have those texts. Sai, do you want to read through them as Jane? I don't think I can read through the mask, Jane. <laughs> okay. uh, I'd like to think I could throw on an accent, but I'm not sure if that's right. Um, <laughs> I can say I definitely can't. Um, I was uh, very well known in my high school drama class for any time I tried any kind of accent whatsoever. It became like some horrifying amalgam of British and Australian no matter where it began. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I can definitely not be of help to you in that respect. Yeah, I mean, I can throw it on, but it's like, I, just, I can't sustain one. It's very long this time. I just meant it from her point of view. Oh, yeah, sure, I sure, didn't sure. even entertain the idea that you would become Jane. <laughs> uh, just full method, full method, full method. You've actually been Jane this whole time and we just haven't noticed. Yeah. Yes. In a light green dress as we speak. Um Okay, so let me just say, listeners, pardon my French, because there's some F-bombs in here. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Jane says, hey, I do love you, you know. I said I love you. I love you, all caps. Oh, now you can't say it back because I took too long? Fuck you, Beard. I did what you asked. I'm literally doing what you asked. Fuck you, Beard. You know, there's a lot of men after me tonight. I turned down three guys already. Make that... Make that four. A guy kissed me while I was writing this text. You're a real piece of work, Beard. I'm never going to speak to you again. You've got 10 seconds to call me. Time's up. Right. We're done. I'm having the best night. I realized how fun life is without you around me. Picture of the purple neon cross. Um, you would have loved this place, but you would have ruined it. I don't even love you. It was a joke. I thought you liked jokes. Oh my God, my dress just fell off. (laughs) 
How annoying. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, and then she says, listen, you know that time you said you wanted to meet my mom and I said you couldn't meet her? I wasn't embarrassed about you. I was embarrassed about her. But you know what? I'm embarrassed about you. You're embarrassing. My mom's fucking amazing. I'm willing to consider you're not getting these texts because your battery died. And if that's the case, I'm truly sorry. It's hard to discuss feelings. I know you always say I'm really reasonable, but you don't know this about me. Sometimes I can be a bit emotional. So maybe I'm lashing out. Okay, nothing? Still nothing. For real, this is too far. Okay, I literally couldn't give a fuck about what you're doing. (laughs) Don't you dare ever speak to me again. Don't come crawling back to me, ever. You're dead to me, literally dead. Like I hope you're lying face down in a ditch somewhere and a squirrel is eating you. A fucking squirrel is eating you from the feet up until all that's left is your fucking stupid beard and nothing else. I mean it. Or you've or you've been hit by a train. Shit. Beard? You haven't been hit by a train, have you? Beard? Just reply so I know you're not dead. Because I'd feel like shit if you were dead. And that's it. Oh, sorry. Nope. Unknown purple picture. This <laughs> is something else that she sends. Nice job. Brava. Brava. Um, so, I, I I will say like just from the, my immediate reaction to this in context is uh, these go by too fast for them to be meaningful to the context of the episode. So I'm really fascinated by how like complex they are, given that you literally have to yeah. slow it down and screen cap them for the right. Yeah, because the first time watching it, I was kind of, I kind of was happy when he ended up back with Jane at the end. Like I was like, oh, he did it. He he finally found his like happy distraction. But after knowing these texts, it's just like, oh no, like it's 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 really bad that he's with her. Like she's very toxic and and unhealthy. Yeah, and also Beard is the kind of character who just he's looking for band aids whenever he needs a very fundamental fix and so he's he's got his band-aid he's got someone that's willing to just <laughs> who who just wants him uh and he's yeah. he doesn't have to try and be someone else granted it's a really disgusting form of how she wants him but i i understand it it's it's really toxic but it's just it's this brief catharsis that he's been looking for with and just being subsumed by all of this sensation. Also, am I using subsumed right? Yes, I am. Ooh, yep. Well, I mean, I think Ooh. the thing in relation to that, though, like that stands out to me. So it was like, but then again, isn't that just what we already knew about that relationship? Right? Yeah. Like the notion yes that like no. he really. So, so for me, I always felt like the idea was that because the way they've depicted this relationship is always coming in and out, right? One week, like what's the greatest update on Jane? They broke up this week, but then they're back together. This idea of sort of this kind of codependence that they can't quite figure it out. I thought the whole hat situation, I just didn't like that hat very much. Maybe that was what really kind of like sold me on the toxicity of this was that she suggested he wear that hat. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm just That's, wondering, like, and just to clarify, Miles, that is your biggest issue with the season. It's the bad yes, hat. Yes, obviously, it's the beard hat. Like, what else could I possibly yeah. kind of be uh, stuck on in that case? I think for me, sure. I read the relationship very much through that lens. I do think that this gives a different depth to it. I want to be very clear. But like, again, we're talking about these subtle, nuanced distinctions of Beard's story rather than like 
a new piece of information that rewrites what we've seen or comes up before. Oh, yeah. And I'll be honest, yeah. when I when someone says they're shifting POV in an episode, I expect to learn something transformative. And that's an expectation that I have, that people were very angry that I had to some degree for some reason, because it's just like, we well, can't expect mm-hmm. things. It can't be about whether it meets your expectations. And I'm like, that's how things work. We respond to things and interact <laughs> with them. And like... It's all about how we expect things. And it's like, I'm not like, oh, how dare they not do what I want? It's like, but that necessarily meant that I was more confused and bored by this episode than I would have been otherwise. But Miles, in the beginning, he's wearing track pants. And at the end, he's wearing disco pants. Whoa. Yeah, that is that's like a fundamental difference. transformation. Yeah. I will say somebody was... Somebody mentioned on Twitter to me that they thought the entire thing was actually a dream and that he already owned those pants. Um, and that because I'm like the pants are the whole like they're the only evidence the night happened right to some degree right like he could have yeah. fallen and like like he could have fallen on his like, drunk on his way home and hit his face right he didn't need to have been beaten up by Jamie's father um, the rest of the piece of the episode didn't really kind of play out we don't really know like everything else could have been just a dream in that context and it's like well first of all like the barfly stuff is independent of Beard's perspective so that had to have either happened or been also part yeah. of a fever he was thinking about breaking pov kind of took that off the table um but then the pants and they're just like well he maybe owned the pants and i'm just like no the pants are the one thing that's like the byproduct of this that cute final moment it's charming and yeah, fine and to me that just said he stayed with jane or he or he came straight from the club you know what i mean yeah yeah um i think the problem well, not the problem but like it's a weird double-edged sword that this episode is completely inconsequential because it was an add-on. So now there are no consequences to the fact that he had a tussle with Jamie's dad if it in fact happened. There's no consequences to the fact that we just learned, or at least for me, just learned how toxic Jane was. Like she's been set up as a character that's like creating this tumultuous relationship for for Beard. But like these texts to me solidify like she cray like we cannot be doing this like absolutely not and so the fact that a it was just a single flash and like i don't know how many people actually slowed down to read it like it just none of this counts now (laughs) so i'm just like oh so if beard ends up with jane because the usual dynamic is that they break up and get back together am i supposed to forget how terrible she is and just go with it yeah i don't like that responsibility yeah, yeah. Same with Jamie's dad now. So now I'm like, so Jamie's dad's a street thug to an extent? Like, Yeah, I didn't like that part. What? I mean, I they did set just... up, they did set that up with Bug, right? Sure. Like, yeah, <laughs> sure. a little bit more with his friends. I felt like that was more a part of the discourse and dialogue around that, which I thought was kind of, uh, kind of working with that. But yeah, I mean, like, I think for me, like, Everything happening with Jane, I would tend to agree, like has changed the perspective on that and built through. But again, it's this. It feels more like again. Also, you could have spent twenty five minutes on this episode and accomplished the same thing if you kind of cut out kind of some of the magical realism stuff, the kind of more excess of the episode. But then at that point, I agree, none of the pleasures people got from it would be there either, which was in its kind of, you know, the, its full investment in this long form narrative. It's kind of little moments of uncertainty of what's really going on. Like all of that, I feel like, again, the episode was what it was. That's how it connected to people and kind of engaged with them. But at the same time, I feel like on the broad scheme of the overall story and what we're engaging with, the actual work it was doing could have been done much more efficiently. And at the very least, you could have like given us Beard and one other character 
and they're like diverging and converging nights in relationship to that. Whether it's Nate, where you see them both show up to coaches meeting the next morning, I think had two very different evenings, something like that. I feel Mm -hmm. like there might've been a way you could have kind of gone through that more effectively or efficiently in that context. I have a question for those who've been like, I've seen the movie that this is referencing. Was there anything to this whole key issue? Like he lost the key like 15 times and then finally gets the key to his place and it breaks. And then that's, you know, how he ends up at the, the chapel. Is there anything specific about losing a key a bunch of times or no? I mean, he just loses his key a bunch of times in the movie. Mm, okay. That's okay. that's the thing. And it's just kind of uh, trying to ramp up the anxiety and the hurt against the character. Uh, I will say After Hours is far more anxious, I remember, than this episode. Uh, if you yeah. ever want to just be anxious, go watch After Hours. I don't. Uh, Sia, <laughs> we should double feature that with my best friend's wedding. <laughs> Perfect. And love actually a triple feature. I'm going to have such a big movie day, Si. (laughs) I mean, the thing about this, too, is like when I think through it and just kind of like what they were trying to accomplish and kind of move through, it's like they have all this Apple money. They can do what they want, right? Like nobody was going to stop them from doing this, right? And like I think I understand and kind of moved through that and they took a big swing and it didn't work for me. Like I say, like I was just bored. It wasn't that I was like angry. It wasn't like I wasn't a fireworks factory situation, right? Where I felt like I needed to like get to where they were going or get to have a point. I was just like, I didn't find it that funny i didn't find it that interesting i just felt like there was this real sort of disconnect happening in relation to it and i feel like that is the price you pay for taking a risk and it's not going to pull off for everybody i'm curious to see like how they decide to think about these types of episodes moving forward because i like the idea of a pov shift for this show i think it would be valuable to take time next season that they're now kind of getting started on and blocking out where I'm like, it would be great to see, like, how do you do an episode like this, but have it built into the season where you know what's happening, where you can build off yeah. of it as you need to. I really want them to think about things like that in relation to this in a way that would be very productive and meaningful. I just also feel like part of why I wrote the review I did and why we're having this conversation in the way that we are is just like, I feel like they can learn a lot from how people responded to this episode to understand how to navigate the desire to be experimental and to push these boundaries whilst simultaneously kind of understanding from a story perspective and from a creative perspective what they want to accomplish and how that plays out. I think there's a lot of potential in that. And I think there was theoretically maybe potential in doing a Beard POV episode. I just didn't think this realized that. The, the thing that I'm scared about with a over with a course correction, which, you know, a good course correction can uh, work wonders, but that it turns into a uh, <laughs> last Jedi rise of Skywalker situation where they course correct too much. Uh, and it just yeah, feels yeah. super duper cynical, trying to recapture the magic of season one. And really that's, that's the end of my statement. I was just going to say, there's a few scenes that, that made me uh, think this this episode could have played even better if there wasn't a pandemic that they were shooting in uh, in the midst of because the scene in like the honey bone bones and honey club and the uh, rave club at the end 
just not a lot of people in there. And that kind of bothered me, especially the first, like the secret, the membership only bar in the beginning when they go in and it's supposed to be like this really well, cool place. There's like six people in there. And that's obviously Johnny, restrictions Johnny, from COVID. To be fair, Johnny, Cher couldn't get in. I know, but it didn't Why look that cool. Why would you not listen to me, Johnny? Listen. <laughs> Why would you not let Cher into a... Can you imagine... play this experiment with me. Can you imagine how exciting it would be if Cher was there and we could just chat with Cher? Come on. It would be great, but there was only like, I don't know, 12 people in there and they were all dressed just okay. Yeah, because <laughs> so it's that super was- exclusionary. <laughs> Such strange standards. The dance club at the end, I wanted like a Matrix reloaded scene where there's like 800 people sweating on each other. You know what I mean? Well, Johnny, to be fair, you want every movie to be Matrix reloaded. I do. (laughs) Well, I think to that point, though, like I think there's something about like what the episode is kind of going for that you're right. Like, do you find you're doing that with a lot of shows filmed during COVID? Of like sort of seeing like group scenes that are a little smaller than they should be or things like that, because I feel like I haven't seen anything that's been like really egregious. But I will say that, like, just how empty London was even in this episode. Right. Just like where he was in the streets, like someone's like, it seems like a night out in London. And I'm just like a night out in like empty London. Um, by this context, um, do you find that that's something you're distracted by in TV generally, or was it just something that kind of came up here specifically? Honestly, yeah, it's the first time I've kind of felt that way. And maybe it's because most things that I'm watching now are like the smaller dramas and like scenes from a marriage and stuff like that, that in white Lotus where it's like this resort that they just booked, but yeah, I don't know. And maybe it was, maybe part of it was that this club was sold up to be like a cool club and then they go in and it's, it looks fine. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, like to me, to me, like it, it plays in context of stuff like Soho House. Are, the, are you familiar with Soho House in no. this context? It's an exclusive like New York, L.A., very Hollywood thing. Uh, I've been to like some television critic association parties there. And every time I'm there, I'm just like on a normal night. This is not like a bunch of like weird neurotic TV journalists and celebrity <laughs> inexplicably interacting with each other it's actually like very much exclusive and all those things and so like again but like you can't breathe in those spaces right it's wall-to-wall people it's very much just kind of crowded mm. and so like the calmness of that did feel a little off and like yeah like i think there's just an energy about it like there's an energy about the episode that i read as like this is weirdly empty and kind of not accomplishing much and kind of not moving through. Whereas I think others who were like, oh, this so suits the kind of like off kilter, like magical realism, like it's not quite right. The sort of the uncanniness of that was in some way productive to what they were trying to accomplish. And again, it's just like, it's a wavelength thing. Like I keep coming back to this and talking to people about this. Like I was not on this episode's wavelength. It didn't work for me. I was bored. I watched it again a second time. It did not help for me. Um, Like it just really, I kept thinking, what is my issue here? I was like texting other critics. It's just like, have you watched this yet? Like, am I crazy? Like what's happening? Like, what are we getting into? And I feel like Mm -hmm. that kind of response is something that, the episode, again, it's not a mistake. I don't think anything in this episode was done inadvertently. I think that they were very careful mm-hmm. about how they presented this, but then that makes me more skeptical of how they didn't look at it and think this could be 10 minutes shorter. Like, specifically, if I'm cutting something, um, the int- the sequence where he goes in the hotel to try to use a phone? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. why is that scene there? Right. What did we learn from it? What did it add? What did it accomplish? How do you not at least say we can cut two minutes from this right there? 
Like, mm-hmm. was that one guy just like a friend of the set? Like, what was it that felt like they had to keep that in that was relevant or necessary for the story? It just seemed like once they had kind of a license to be like, this is its own side thing. This isn't impacting the overall story. There's no other characters that aren't being served. We're just kind of going for it. That they just kind of let a lot of the other natural instincts of editing and tightening and those types of things kind of disappear. And that's a bit of a shame. And the next episode is long too. Yes. But somebody that, dies. That's exciting. Right. <laughs> is it? I love you're just like this is well, thrilling. You know, upsetting but exciting yeah. at the same time. Well, you know what I did appreciate was uh Brendan Hunt's hula hooping abilities. Yeah. Yes. Holy oh smokes. Like legitimately good at that. Very Do impressive. You, I've got some information about that. Oh, please. Uh and someone stop me if they already know this information. But in doing my research, I was introduced to Brendan Hunt's Absolutely Filthy, an unauthorized Peanuts parody. Brendan Hunt uh, wrote an adult Peanuts parody where he played Pigpen, and to simulate the cloud of dust, he twirled a hula hoop for almost two hours. What? That is amazing. Uh, That's insane. And just knowing that Brendan Hunt comes from the improv school, he comes from Boom Chicago, he comes from doing fringe stuff that sounds exactly right. That mm-hmm. he would go, yeah, I'm going to Hulu Hoop for two hours. Thank yeah. you, uh, Tony Jachinen. Uh, Braxton. Saying that incorrectly. <laughs> From uh, the Patreon of Film Crit Hulks. Great commenter. I, um, it's funny because when he started dancing in that club, I was definitely like, oh, yeah, this is his, like, this is Brendan Hunt's Amsterdam time yeah. coming back out. The yeah. Girl Clubs. Yeah. Yeah. But he was also talking about. Uh, in an interview that he did with TV line and talking about just the dancing being kind of the ultimate catharsis for anything that he did in his own personal life. If anything Mm -hmm. is going on and he just needs to feel better dancing, dancing in a club is the way that he achieves emotional, uh, satisfaction with things. And I think that's where like we're talking about the lack of catharsis at the end of the episode. I didn't feel the catharsis from that moment. Right. Like I felt it in the sense it was a fun moment, but like it didn't resolve anything in the episode for me, which is why I I mean, in the sense that like if I'm at a wedding, I will go dancing. Yes. I'm on the dance floor. I don't understand people who aren't, but I'm not going to go out dancing. Is maybe (laughs) the way I would frame that. Yeah, right? maybe that's what it is. Like, that's not the Unless context of the evening. they were playing the cha-cha slide at Soho House. Look, there's some options right here. But, like, again, <laughs> I, I feel like in that case, again, where it's like we talk about, like, the lack of catharsis in that moment after the lack of resolution. Mm. We're also talking about the James stuff where it's like the James stuff plays like a resolution in that moment. But the text and everything we know make it very difficult to read it that way. Yeah, it makes and it so more again, disturbing. Yeah. So, like, I feel like all of that, again... I don't mind all of that, but it kind of complicates what it feels like the episode's doing, which goes back to like my thing with Sam and Rebecca, where like that was played as a big rom-com, big romantic moment. And like other people were like, and I'm like, I don't agree with that. There's too much going on here. I feel the show didn't kind of earn that moment. And they're like, well, they might complicate in the future. And I'm like, well, yes, but they delivered a moment that unsettled me. And that could be purposeful, but it's a question of like, or is it just, again, wavelength issues, right? Is that sort of what's happening in that respect and in that relationship to kind of move through that? I'm going to say wavelength. <laughs> I will not attack yeah. you, but I am all about this Sam and Rebecca business right now, mostly because I yes. love love and like sexy moments and they had a very sexy moment. 
I, I, I gotta, I gotta say, this has long been proven that I don't love love. It just is me and TV shows just plays out that way. It was, it was like, it was, it was Jim and Pam. It was like with Superstore, with like I like Jim and Pam fine, but like I wasn't okay. like deeply invested in their relationship. You did not cry. You did not cry I did. at their wedding. No, no, not I mean, a tear. I cried. I, I, w- I say I cried more about Michael and Holly and how they resolved that than I did about Jim and Pam, if you give me that. The, okay. the wedding's emotional. I'm not claiming otherwise. But, like, for me, it's that, like, it's the idea of, like, these kind of relationships building and moving through. But, again, for me, it's, like, it's also stuff to do with Rebecca and Sam's stories that are complicating that for me, such that it's not just my, like, cynical aversion to kind of, like, uh, romantic love stories and how they play out on TV. Um but again, some would defend the show saying, well, you know, they're doing a whole spin on these different genres. This was about after hours. That was about rom-coms and all these things. And I'm just like, OK, that's fine. I feel like there's a way to handle that and the types of stories they are telling in different ways. But again, we're dealing with all these types of questions. And I think that part of why this episode sat the way it did was the fact that a lot of us were investing in these other stories, like already confronting them, right? Like we were already in an argument last week about the relationship of the show with these different stories and what they're doing with Ted and what they're doing with Sam and Rebecca and all these things. And then like for a week, we put all that aside to have like, oh, what show is this? What's happening? Do you like this or not? New litmus test for what kind of fan you are. And now we're just going to go back to talking about those other stories. It's just... Is a very weird, I can't think of another example of a show that has delivered an episode that became so foundational. People have brought up stuff like the Fly episode of Breaking Bad or Expose in Lost. But I would argue that those episodes were much clearer about what they were trying to do um, and much simpler yeah. in kind of the messages that they were sending. This one, I think, is distinctly like obtuse in a way that is really kind of uh, branching out this discourse in ultimately like it's been a weekend is what I'll say. <laughs> hey, do you, Miles, do you love, love the Netflix series? No, <laughs> I, I watched the first season of that show and then did not go back to it. Gotcha. But that was really an era of time where I think we stopped watching all those things. Yeah. So that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> uh, I did have one issue that I very much balked with uh, in this episode, and I would uh-huh. like to share it with you. Okay. Uh, because Beard has had his night out, exhausted. He's brought his coffees. He's got a black eye. He's gone through it. Everyone's exhausted. And then Ted puts on game footage that has somehow been sped up cut together and also someone has laid yakety sacks over it. Now I'm just thinking about that video editor. How, <laughs> how does that, how does that work? Because are they doing, are they capturing the footage live? Are they, does it automatically just transcode? So the footage is just available immediately. How do they be able to cut all of those plays together quickly? How do they decide what is important in there as well. I don't know how watching game footage goes back with that poor video editor. And then also at some point, because this has happened over one night, when did Ted communicate to the video editor of the game footage? 
oh, please, can you use yakety sacks? Yeah. And immediately, what immediately after he revealed that his father died of suicide, to share it, he got on the phone like, to the video editor and said, "Hey, video." And like, to be fair, teams like this would have full scale video teams, right? Like, they would have resources. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole like, there would be a whole apparatus of employees that we're not seeing because they're trying to make this workplace succumb and they need to shrink down the number of people who matter. So basically Higgins would theoretically be in charge of a group of people that would be like a video team that would be cutting through footage and kind of going through this and kind of pulling out what they need. But yes, basically Ted got on the phone with that person and said, look, we're going to have to brighten the mood tomorrow. Let's get some yakety sacks over that and let's do it that way. Like that's 100% what happened based on the timing of what we were presenting. Look, I buy Beard running away from a supercharged version of Roy Kent, uh, running away and jumping into a dumpster. I do not buy this. It is completely unrealistic. <laughs> that's bridge too far. That's a bridge too far, and that's why I give it an F minus. Kenny, did I ever tell you that I, for a very, very short time, was an editor for the Miami Dolphins, and that was basically my job? Johnny! Putting yakis, yakity sacks on I forgot on about highlights. that chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You what? I would I was at the games so editing. You, you, you can answer my direct uh yeah. you, yes. You get no, all no. the feeds from the broadcast. Uh-huh. So when a play happened, I would have to isolate it, basically find like a select, find the best angle, and then add all the metadata of who the players involved were and all that. Ah, like, so throughout the game. So what you are saying is that the editors are pretty much watching the game live. Yeah. So Ted probably told them beforehand. Yeah, it's a yeah, yakety sacks, sacks kind of. Day. I don't. I don't know. Which, which I don't make it up. A, which makes him an even worse coach because daring <laughs> he knew what was happening. Right. He's maybe like, there's, oh, this, maybe there's oh. like a series of if then directives where it's like yeah. if we get <laughs> blown out dramatically, yakety sacks. If it's right. a close nail biting win, like throw get some. some yeah, like whatever we need to kind of make that work. Like maybe there's like a set of directives that we're just not aware of. I would personally, yeah. I would watch the like ancillary web series about the video editing team that we're now imagining of just mm. like these low level employees dealing with like Ted's various yep. strange directives. I would watch that like the <laughs> office web series about the accountants. I would watch that series about the video editors for AFC Richmond. I'm on board. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, watch the hell out of that. Well, thank you for uh, fixing my soul criticism for this episode. Uh, it's not an F anymore? Yeah, I give it an A++ now. Okay. Oh, yeah. wow. Man, it's a real turnaround. I think it's... Real, real journey. I th- not only do I think it's a good episode, I think this is the best episode of anything ever now that we fixed... Wow. Uh, that. Take that, the leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's this episode of Ted Lasso, then The Leftovers, a show that I have not seen, and then oh, so good. Uh, so good. Battlestar Galactica. If you liked Battlestar Galactica, you should definitely watch The Leftovers. I feel oh, like those shows are very equally interested in like the end of humanity as a core I, life event that dictates everyone's behavior. I feel yeah. like The Leftovers will probably be missing out on something that I really like about Battlestar Galactica, which is uh, aliens, space fights. Yes. Yeah. Well, there are, in fact, very few space fights in that context. Not saying that there's zero space fights, just that there are very few space fights. I will say there will be a point in the series where you'll start to wonder, wait, could there be a space fight? Because, yeah, exactly. again, The Leftovers is a show that is consistently pushing against expectation of what type of show it is and how it builds. And Ted Lasso is not that show, which is why this episode was responded to the way it was. 
And if you want to see a bottle episode or multiple bottle episodes done very well, watch The Leftovers. Why isn't Battlestar Galactica just called Space Fights? I guess yeah, that's too close to Star Wars. Title. Yeah, but exactly. also, whenever it was created back in 1978, it was basically just a Star Wars ripoff. They should have mm. called it Space Fights. I, I digress. Um, we don't have a game to end this episode, but I think, Sai, you had an idea for a fun way to wrap it up. I think we could wrap it up in a simple way, given... Oh, but before... Sorry. I'm not before we Before we do, Miles, not only do you have anything else you wanted to mention, but where can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can find my reviews, like we said, at the AV Club, where I'll be reviewing the remaining episodes of the season. Uh, I'm also related to a previous conversation covering the first, middle, and last episodes of Survivor this season, which I'm excited about seeing how those changes Ooh. play out. Um and then oh, yeah. in addition to that, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Memels, that's M-E-M-L-E-S, where you will see me sharing comments from AV Club reviews that I can't reply to because the AV Club's comment system elevates any replies that I reply to. So when I'm really annoyed by something, if I want to reply to them, uh, it automatically makes it more visible, which seems to defeat the purpose. Um, so I just tweet about them <laughs> instead, which is very healthy, 100% healthy behavior. No one is concerned yeah. about me. Um, Mm-mm. But you can find me there sort of discussing that. And like, I, again, go to the point that we sort of made and I know we're kind of being moved through, but like the whole functional point of criticism is to come into dialogue. So I very much appreciate this opportunity to discuss it with y'all. But also like if anyone's just yeah. like, I really took care of that. I didn't understand this thing you said or want to know more about it or disagree. Like that is the whole point of this exercise. So I'm more than happy to hear from you. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think we got the right person to talk about an episode that is as a horrible episode. Oh my gosh. Stop. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I guess I will say I got a text uh, from a friend while I was going this who hadn't watched the episode yet. And they're just like, yeah, you know, your review was very long and I'm always like, thank you. Thank you. I always appreciate that. Um, Cause it's never a compliment, but um, they were sort of suggested like, yeah, I don't agree with the C plus I would have given it a D. And I'm like, if I had given that episode a D, even if I felt it was a D, I just, the chaos that right. would have rendered was just not, even the C plus was pushing my luck. If I, if I had given it a B minus, I would have gotten like a good, like 50% less vitriol because people just respond to that one piece of things. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. sometimes just the cross. So true. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to edit anything I said out of this episode that wasn't positive <laughs> it'll just be like these weird nice. like spots where just like a whole conversation happens and it's just sort of like that was yeah. great yeah love this episode <laughs> and that's just what i cut in over and over again i mean like i will say like i mean so part of my information like is like going through where it's just like so it's like obviously they built this episode of tv they loved this they were really proud of this and then like i did not like it and did not jive with it and it's like, I know it's very possible in this case that like people working on the show, they've tweeted articles, reviews. I think they consume a lot of this stuff, to be honest with you, are kind of part of this. And I'm just like, look, yeah. the fact that somebody didn't like this, I don't think that they're precious about that. I think they knew when they're going on a limb, they know when they're making those kinds of choices. And so I feel like for those reasons that they're not mad that people don't like this, I think they're just like, wait and see how it plays out. We'll have a conversation. Then. Yeah, exactly. And if the show doesn't end up being for you based on that, that's fine because they're making the show they want to make. It's not like anybody compromised their vision. And so I think for all those reasons, right. they're more than content. I don't think anyone's mad about that in context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like Bill Lawrence is probably I, I just see a lot of great interactions of him with people that are like, didn't like this episode. And he's like, OK, <laughs> it's just TV. So I mean, so and and. Ju- 
just just him without any sense of snark just going hey that i understand yeah yeah i will say so like in the case of like bill lawrence so bill lawrence i wrote about scrubs for the av club did three seasons of the show the first three for a tv club classic we call it we go back and review a show that existed before we did what we do now in terms of reviewing every episode and like bill lawrence mm. found those reviews um, and the way he framed it was like Miles McNutt is killing it both good and bad that I was fine. The good stuff, the bad <laughs> stuff, like I was, conf- he's very kind of earnest about that. And he's been very, I think, very open about the dialogue in relation to that. He actually, uh, Skyped into the class I was teaching in grad school at the time, uh, <gasps> to do a Q and a, because we kind of got connected through Twitter and all this. He's just generally very gracious with his time. I'm hopeful that in the next, like, you know, 15 minutes, he'll win his first Emmy in acknowledgement of the amount of great TV he's put out in a very thankless space of broadcast for so long that he's finally sort of getting his due with this. And so, again, I think these are all generally speaking very gracious people who are understanding of this. And I feel like I'm very curious, based on the response to this episode, how they approach the third season and whether they kind of see this as like, this is why we take risks to kind of play that out and go for it. Yeah. And I'm very curious to see if Bill... um does what I texted him and thanks us when he wins his yeah. award. We'll I think see. he's going to do that. I hope so. Um, all right, Cy, what was your, your little wrap up? It's super simple, y'all. Um, we know that Jane's texts were pretty lengthy um, and, and they were not very fun. So what I want to know is what's everyone's go-to emoji if you subscribe to emoji communication? Miles, we'll I know, start with you. I'm literally going to check because the, conveniently it gives you a frequently used option to kind of work from. Yep. Um, I would say Dogs. that if there's an emoji I use most often, it's probably just like the thumbs up emoji. I'm not much of like an emotional reaction emoji. I feel like I'm more just Same kind so. of uh, indicating in relation to that. I do find like on things like Slack, I'll use the uh, pointing up emoji to like cosign a comment mm-hmm. as in a, like sometimes more mm. than the thumbs up. So rather than just approving it, I'm just like that, like let that speak for itself in this context. Those are the two that come to mind. Excellent. Kenny, how about yourself? One emoji and one emoji only is the one that I use the most. Uh, Johnny, can you edit out that pause? So it sounds like I said that all at once. Yeah. <clears throat> Great. Wonderful. <laughs> Uh, also edit that out and also edit this out. Wait, what is the emoji? <laughs> Let me get to it. I'm building up the anticipation. Oh, okay. Uh, and then also, Johnny, because I know that you love to put sound effects, can you put in a drum roll? Yeah. And then whenever I finally say what the emoji is, I want it to be all echoey. And then just like the crowd just kind of stands to their feet and you can hear them get up and then like boot steps. Yeah. Kind of plunking down. And I'll have a, I'll have a crowd sound effect playing in, under the entire episode but nobody will know why yeah until this moment and then also can you add like a sound effect of Sai just crying whenever she finds out what the emoji is because she's like so happy is this happy yeah. crying okay interesting yeah. okay uh, <laughs> here we go the emoji that i use the most is the heart oh wow I could see that. You're a lover. I could definitely see that. Yeah, I'm a lover. <laughs> okay. Let's let's. <laughs> Johnny. I don't use emojis. <laughs> this is true. I do know this about you. Um, if 
how would today you, know this you were guy? to start? Because this man, we've been together for seven years and I can't get a damn emoji from him. Oh. I can't get nothing. Hey, Johnny, it sounds like you need to show up. <laughs> I use words. <laughs> no, actually, I, um, I'll type out like the smiley thing with the colon and the parentheses. And it, so your phone doesn't turn it into it? Because like it's supposed to. Well, well I, when I was talking about this earlier with Sai, she <laughs> she brought up the point that I put a space in between. You have to put the stupid space so that it won't convert. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I did just realize I I was just got I'm I I have a book that's coming out. It's like an academic book. It's not important. Um. So uh. But in the midst of it, I quote a tweet that has like an emoticon in it, and I realized that like. I think it's going to go in as an actual, like whatever, like a formal press mm. indicates as an emoji. Cause that's what it is in the tweet. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking at it going through the manuscript. It's the only piece of that that plays out. And I was just like, Oh, that's going to look so weird, but that's the style they're working <laughs> with. And I'm like, I don't feel like fighting over it, but it did stand out to me. And so I guess I get it. I understand the aversion to communicating purely through them. I don't know if I'd be willing to make an extra like type on a keyboard to avoid it. So I, I appreciate your commitment. Oh yeah. And, and make no mistake. I don't use the smiley face very often. Either. <laughs> that's yeah, fair. That's like twice a year. Even on my face. <laughs> 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 Just kidding. Sai, what is yours? Well, that's the thing. I mean, I certainly, I don't use emojis to communicate. Like I'm never going to send a message via emojis does that make sense like there are other words for me emojis just add a certain level of emphasis other than the the pointing up I do do that as just like my only thought um I think my most used because I use so many liberally I do love the cat kiss emoji really like that yeah you do um I really love a good clap uh, and what else do I have in here? Ooh, I love the party one. Like where there's like that little, like, like the little streamer thing coming out of his mouth that says party time to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I think those are my favorite. Does this make me more or less basic than you already thought? Okay. That's all. <laughs> Uh, everything about you is perfect. <laughs> I, oh my goodness. Oh, you saw, just to summarize, you like the party emoji because it's like a little party. That's right. That's correct. Outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, Miles, <laughs> thank you for your time. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you for your patience. Of course. Yeah. Of course. yeah. Thanks for coming on. This was a lot of fun. This is like probably our most unique uh, episode recap that we've done. We didn't really go beat by beat or anything because it's just such a strange episode. Yeah, no, there aren't like you, you normally would be like, what about the C story? What about this character? Yeah, and this yeah. is like there's just an A story. It just does what it does. I feel like, yeah, there's no it's it, it breaks the formats of everything it does to show itself and any podcast happening to be covering. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, you're the, the perfect person to come on for this one. We, oh, we appreciate uh, having you. Before we end the episode, because reading your AV Club uh, recap and noticing that Beard touched a photo at the beginning of the episode. Yep. And 
at least according to that one, your screener didn't. Correct. Like, that's a visual effect. It is completely is a visual wild. effect. So it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, so like all the video screens and things are often like temporary. In this case, it was confusing because they were showing footage from the game, but it was footage from the game that had all the green screen left in it from when they shot it on the practice field. Uh, so it was like yeah, yeah. extra double, like weird green screen type thing happening, um, which was yeah. super confusing in context. Um, but to your point about, yeah, so that image, so it's it's a, it's Burning Man is what he's pointing to that's meant to like set the tone of the episode. When I saw the screener, there was nothing there except for a green thing and some dots. So that's why I had to like, that's why you're so bored. I know. And that would have just changed everything. Right. <laughs> and so like, I was hoping if yeah, I, was, Miles I, was, just I was like waiting. I was just, just like, when midnight came, I logged in. Cause my review wasn't going up until 3 AM Eastern and it was written and ready to go. But I'm just like, I need to find out what that was. And then I saw it and I'm like, I have no idea what that is. Uh, and I quick Google search. I'm just like large neon man. Nothing gave me no content. Same. And I'm just like, I'm just going to put it in, ask the question. Someone will bring it up in the comments and we'll be good to go. Um, and that's what they did. And that's fine. Hmm. So that's how it works. But yeah, just the, like, I was a little surprised, honestly, given that, like, I understood, like, we've had episode eight for months. It made sense that that was incomplete in terms of the game and everything. Like, when we saw the game yeah. in episode eight on the big screen, when they did, like, wide shots of the stadium, it already said for nothing before the game started. Um, so like it was kind of a bit of a spoiler of how it was going to go like they clearly visual effects were very much incomplete i'm used to that but i was surprised given the episode was coming out on friday that even on monday they gave us such an incomplete version um because like obviously most of those effects had to have been done at least close to that time so i was a little bit surprised by the timing of that i'm sure there's some logistical reason it happened and it more or less still worked fine but that was just one thing where i'm just like i literally cannot speak to what this was until i see it so just a fun behind the scenes of the still very much privileged life of someone who gets TV episodes in advance. <laughs> nice. Well, maybe we'll have you back on after the season to talk about how it wrapped up and how yeah. we feel about it as a whole. Would, would be a pleasure. Post game show. <laughs> First of all, post game show. <laughs> oh my Post game show love that song yeah uh right after we finished recording uh with miles on sunday night ted lasso did win the emmy for best comedy congratulations bill lawrence brendan hunt jason sudeikis uh joe kelly everybody that's involved with the show it was fun to see them all there having a blast it's been fun watching the videos of them accepting their emmy awards saw jamie lee get hers and that was fun what a fun night. They looked great. Everyone yeah, everybody looked, looked great. Wonderful. Uh, Johnny, were there any snubs and flubs of the Emmys? I don't know. Okay. Did anyone get to watch the uh, the speeches? The speeches were really good. Did not. But also, I did remember, Kenny, the only snub that I can think of is, because um, I didn't obviously didn't watch most of it because we were recording, but... Um, Saturday Night Live beating a Black Lady sketch show for sketch writing. Yeah. Does, does dumb. Does dumb. Go watch a Black Lady sketch show. It's so Go good. Go do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there were just some sweet moments. Hannah Waddingham, um, she thanked, I think, Brendan Hunt and Sudeikis and the whole crew uh, for changing her life. And more importantly, 
her daughter's life, which I thought was really nice. Um, yeah. And she also, she thanked her normal friends because she's, I guess, a single mom and obviously it takes a village. And I like that she acknowledged, you know, just the regular people in yeah. her life. Her her speech felt very honest, which is mm-hmm. just yeah. her screaming and crouching to the floor. It right. felt very yep. real. Yeah. Loved it. Loved yeah. it. Um, Brett Goldstein. It was so cool to see Brett Goldstein, not as Roy Kent, but just as himself. And he was like kind of nervous. Like even though these people for a living are like, I'm in front of people. Mm -hmm. Like this kind of thing is so like jarring and exciting and raw and strange. And he's literally like shaking. And I felt like, wow, Roy Kent is shaking. And I so identify with him. He is a human. Yeah. It was nice. And also shout out to Colt of Lasso. I don't know if you saw Kenny. Oh, he, yes. Did you see that? He photo- of course I did. Brilliant. Brilliant Photoshop job. He photoshopped a green, a man in a green suit on the Emmy stage <laughs> to play along with the joke of Roy Kent being a CGI character. <laughs> thought that was brilliant. Nice job, Cult of Lasso. <laughs> A.K.A. Chris. Pretty funny. <clears throat> well, maybe we'll link that in the show notes, too, if you haven't seen it. It's really funny. Cult of Lasso. I might put him at number four. Above oh, Ted Lasso. Wow. Okay, so it's Laura. Yeah, that's right. Love, Adam Hobbs, yes. Cult of Lasso, Ted Lasso. That's right. Um, oh. Hmm. What was five? Ted Lasso is number five now. What well, was uh, five, though? Dried Mangoes is somewhere on there. Dried, that's seven, now eight. Yeah, somehow We're missing Galactica one. came in. But it was after something that's missing. Oh, no. How can we forget the fifth most important thing? It happens. Anyway. Cl- clearly not that important. Um, one of my favorite moments of this episode was May screaming in the pub. Oh. She's really having so much fun this season. Yes. Annette Badland, our queen, our M. I like how in the club, in the, in the Bone Thugs and Harmony, Baz does, <laughs> Baz does the name. Bones and honey. and honey, yes. Baz does the Nate strut. When when uh, Beard is like, feel free to strut, Baz does the Nate strut. That was fun. Bones and honey, which in my research is a possible reference to Proverbs 1624. Hmm. <laughs> Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Hmm. I love that. Thank we should you. get that carved in wood and hang it in our kitchen. Sure. I, you should get it carved in bone and then just smother right it neck. In, yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm curious if anybody else feels this way. The scene when uh, Beard is running from the jealous partner, the big dude with the raspy voice. Um, the score sounds like the social network score. Mm, I did not pick up on that at all. Parts of it sound exactly like the social network score. I that believe it. Interesting. So go back and listen to that. Tell me if I'm crazy. Who was that actor? Super Roy Kent. That's Charlie Ross playing the character of Darren. Uh, I forget who said it on Twitter, but someone called him Royd Kent. And I thought that was super good. That's good. Yeah. But hopefully not reductive to just assume that man takes roids. Yeah, he's true. He didn't look roidy. He just looked big. When people have that voice, it makes my throat hurt just listening to them talk yeah but he was good 
Especially when he turned out to be a, f- a fine gentleman. Fine gentleman. Got off on that scooter. That was fun. Oh my gosh. How mm, so funny. Scooters what a nice are so little funny. Touch. <laughs> I don't know why he's with Lady in Red. I was yeah. frustrated by that. I'm like, do you need to be with this lady? She's also, clearly playing games. Yeah, why was she so seductive? Like, he has reason to be jealous. He's bringing random men home. Right. In seductive manner. So shady. We all have our ways of communicating love and affection. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be romantic or lustful types of love. Some people are just super touchy and flirty. So that's true. true. I guess she didn't actually do anything. See? <laughs> it's just weird to then have it. What's weird was the game because to have your partner who I guess you're having a child with, who maybe you are still engaged with, like not estranged to yeah. have them as do not answer. To invite a man to your home to tell him I'm going to don your pants also, and pick up this phone call from my person. Like, it's also strange. Also, she's pregnant. Do we see her drinking at that bar? Hmm. Which you can on special occasions. I guess if, if it's, it's early it's enough. Early and it's just a touch. Yeah, I'm not going to judge. I'm just curious. Sure. But. Hmm. Yeah, all very strange. Watch out, Darren. Yeah, watch out, Darren. The last little note that I have is um, when Jeremy, one of the lads, runs and slides on the pitch, Very he good. like slams his face into the turf. Oof. What do you got, Kenny? Uh, right now, according to the board at the very end of the episode, we've got 21 wins, uh, 21 wins for AFC Richmond, six losses, 16 draws and 79 points. Yeah, that's not terrible. I wouldn't know. It I guess they've been good. on a good run. Yep. A uh, question for you all. Who do you think ordered the peppermint latte? <clears throat> I was thinking that too. Mm. I assumed it was Nate. I assume it's Roy Kent. Because Roy is a real softy at heart. Hmm. What were the other options? It was, what was it? Just regular lattes and a peppermint? I Let's go to the fabulous lassoism.com. Pull up the quote sheet. I am I'm gonna assume it was Roy Kent because I think that's something that Keely would turn him on to. Oh, right. I could see her loving peppermint lattes. Yes. And then biosmosis, Roy Kent. And lassoism.com does not have the quote as of yet, and that is absolutely fine. Yeah. Yes. Lassoism.com, great resource for researching. End of statement. Uh, What else do I have? According from the fabulous interview that Ryan Schwartz did with Brandon Hunt over at TV line, Jason Sudeikis originally pitched this episode to be shot on an iPhone. Mm. But according to Brandon Hunt, what he really meant was it should be handheld and should feel intimate and up close in a way that the show isn't really. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I would have actually liked to see more of that. Yeah. More tight shots. That would have been really fun. Hmm. Um, what else do I have? On they my- should have let Soderbergh shoot that episode. Oh, gosh. How He'd cool would that it. be? Soderbergh would do it. Yeah. Soderbergh probably already has shot his own episode of Ted Lasso. That's I was going to say. Not canon. Yeah. And probably, or he probably shot one just under a different name. He likes doing that. Yeah. I was made aware of a, they, they sing a, the hooligans, uh, Boz, Jeremy, and Paul 
sing a song as they leave Coach Beard at his apartment singing Just One Cornetto. And mm-hmm. that tuned me on to this commercial, the Walls Cornetto ad, where a person in a gondola sings that he just wants one Cornetto. <laughs> nice. Was it, uh, do you think that was a little nod to Edgar Wright? I don't think so. Because him and Brett Goldstein are friends. <gasps> Maybe it is. Ugh. I guess all British creative people know each other. <laughs> uh, on the double decker bus, we see an ad for Kafka, which was the alcohol oh, yeah. that <laughs> advertised for. Nice. Oh, nice. I didn't notice that. Uh, the big pointy building that Beard points to, where the lady in red says, Come back to my place, is known as mm. the Shard. Yeah. Hey, we've seen the Shard. We did see the Shard. Um, in the Gherkin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the blue moon, the blue moon motif uh, yeah. that yeah. follows Beard everywhere that they go, literalizing that the loss at Man, uh, Man City is literally hanging over his head. Mm. That's just a really lovely touch. Uh, and a fair amount of chatter online says that the blue moon was a clear reference to an American werewolf in London. And they even utilize mm. the song. A fish out of water story of an American in a strange land. Um, I think that's just. Uh, I think they're trying to simplify it because it also has Griffin done, just like uh, After Hours. But uh, yeah, yeah, we should do a film festival, maybe between season two and three, where we just watch every movie referenced or every movie that influenced Ted Lasso. Johnny, that's a tall order. Yep. Um, but wouldn't it be fun? It would be fun. We'll do a bracket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also in my research, uh, because we've got uh, Gary Lineker and Terry Henry in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I found out that Gary Lineker is the highest paid employee at the BBC as of 2019 to 2020 disclosures. Oh, damn. Good on him. Congrats. Yeah. And that and T- I loved seeing Thierry Henry in there because he was... My favorite soccer player when I started watching soccer and started playing FIFA because he was the fastest player in FIFA and I loved playing with him (laughs) and became obsessed with him that way. And he was pretty fun in this episode. Yes. Uh, According to Brendan Hunt, uh, Terry Henry is someone who he became a big fan of when he was getting into soccer while living in Amsterdam. He's a big part of the reason why he fell in love with the sport and thus he's got a big part of the reason why Ted Lasso even exists also nice. there is a blink and you miss it reference to a car commercial that Terry Henry did whenever he goes look Gary the man has no va va voom which is a car commercial that he did for <laughs> Renault love it hey Renault you love to see it uh, also the lost and found in England. Is it really called the misplaced and discovered? Hmm. That's what the box says in the crown. Yeah. Anchor. I don't know if that was just a joke for us Americans. Yeah. About the British always being so proper, but I hope so. What I do you know. think? We're going to we're gonna have to ask your British uncles and aunts. Yeah, I will. I'll throw some feelers out there. I'll get a confirmation, but it also might just be May being cute. Like maybe she just had fun with her markers and mm-hmm. decided. It's like some D and D shit. To call it that. Yep. <laughs> uh, oh gosh, what else 
Ted is a man, just a man. Our lyrics from Jesus Christ Superstar. Right now, I'm just checking my boxes of making sure that I'm referencing the pop culture references that were made in this episode. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow will be the most beautiful day of Sarah Coombs' life. Uh, reference to Fight Club. Professor Declan Patrick Aloysius McManus is the, actually the real name of singer Elvis Costello. <laughs> That's fun. Um, what else? There's conjecture from Keith Phipps that the, I, I think that we talked about whenever Beard goes to try and use the phone. Uh, Keith Phipps from Vulture said that that gave him shades of eyes wide shut whenever Tom Cruise has a similarly difficult exchange with the character played by Alan Cumming. Okay. Uh, Beard gets beaten up by uh, James Tart. Uh, it gave me big Clockwork Orange vibes there. Oh, yeah. Especially the shot of them in the distance in the sh- like as silhouettes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, when Coach Beard's phone powers down because of low power, and this is from Lassoism, his power meter showed at least 25% power. So that's <laughs> that's a little uh, goof and a gaff. Yeah. Uh, obvious shining reference whenever they go to uh, the dog track and they go to room 237, knock on the door, and there's Renee hmm. at the door. I forgot to mention, I got a very angry text from my friend Andrew Hernandez, who was livid that we didn't talk about the issue with patient, uh, doctor-patient confidentiality in, was it the last episode? Oh. When Dr. Sharon is on the phone with her, her therapist and apparently has just divulged everything about Ted Lasso to her. That's I I only know this because I watched the amazing show Couples Therapy and maybe I'm just uh, wholly incorrect. But the therapist on Couples Therapy, which you can watch on Showtime, uh, the therapist reports to an advisor and kind of decompresses about some of those some of her own clients with her own therapist. So it's not just and then do they use their names? Just curious. Uh, I don't know if they actually do use their names. Um, I would, I, I would imagine that it's a little hard to not use names. And I think that there's, there's gotta be an understanding. I'm curious. Either way, go watch couples therapy. Yeah. And if you're a therapist or psychologist, give us a shout and let us know if you're, if, if, if there's some, some, if there's something wrong with a therapist talking to another therapist about one of their patients and using their names. Yes. Just very curious. Thanks for the text, Andrew. Andrew, I'm so honored that you listen. I don't know if he does. (laughs) Then why did Ah! he text? (laughs) It was more like, did you guys talk about this? Mm. And uh, if people want to text you, Johnny, what's your number? It's uh, 3055. Thank you so much for listening to LassoCast. Please take a second to rate, review, subscribe on whatever podcast app you're using. You can find us on Twitter and, and TikTok at LassoCast, at the LassoCast on Instagram. You can email us, LassoCast at Gmail. You can go to LassoCast.com. And if you want to support us, we're LassoCast on Venmo. If you leave a little note, we'll read it on the show. Uh, LassoCast is produced by Saida Rhodes. Edited by me, John, and the music is by MG Sound. Don't forget to check out the the show notes for some fun links. And we really look forward to uh, 
to, to having you back next episode. Thank you.